Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. everybody and welcome to another episode of Glory Days of Gold. I'm Michael McCall. And I'm Lee Gillis. And we're back for our second episode. The first one went really well, Lee. The, the feedback, I've got to say, I've been quite blown away with it. Very positive reaction to the first episode. Just delighted with, with how everyone's responded to the show so far. Yeah, I mean, obviously, when, when you and I spoke about it originally... Um, you know, we were like, oh, if we get 100 downloads, you know, we'll, we'll be pretty happy. And after what well, that's been less than a week, and uh, the downloads were sitting at 310 um, at my last count. So, you know, it's, it's been amazing. I think that the reception has been great. Um, you know, I, I, I believe you even had an email from somebody that, that said they enjoyed that. I've had a lot of uh, private messages. So um, I'm absolutely delighted. Thank you to everyone that, that listened to the first episode. One thing I meant to say in the first episode, I I wasn't happy with this, how the sound was, but that's just me being a kind of picky perfectionist. So Lee's got a new mic from this week. I'm recording this on my phone this week, so we'll see how that goes, because my microphone broke the week before we did the first recording of all times, and it appears that everyone in Canada has wanted to do a podcast because all the microphones were sold out. I've now got one, it's on the way, but it's not arriving sadly until two days after this episode, but we didn't really have any complaints about the sound, but it, it's going to just get better and better hopefully as as we move on with this. Definitely, and um, you know, a, a few of you might have seen my, my sort of fundraising effort, so I would like to give a shout out to FPWA, which is Fife Pro Wrestling Asylum, um, who sponsored us, um, our microphone, so... That's Andrew Inch or Andy Wilde, the wrestler for ICW. So huge shout out to him for their support. Um, and the other person I want to shout out to is um, Craig Castles, um, a fan of the podcast who donated £20 as well, um, which will help us go towards some of the hosting fees. So thank you so much to, to, to you guys. And like you'll see on our social media platforms, um, we have put out that there's some sponsorship available in terms of adverts and um, listens on our social media networks and stuff. All that will purely go towards um, anything we can do to make the, the sound better, make the quality the recording better, hosting fees. You know, it's, it's not for profit. It's not for anything like that. It's purely just to improve your listening experience. Yes. And for, for those of you that want to know where you can find the podcast, we obviously have it up in Podbean. That's our, our podcast hosts. It's also available on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and also on Spotify as well. It's going to be in a lot of other podcast hosts and things. So wherever you get your podcasts, you should be able to find this. So spread the word. We're enjoying doing this. We've got a, a great show for you coming up this episode as well. Our very first interview on the show, we've got a, a man that... I, 
I don't throw the word around loosely. He he's a legend of East Fife, Paul McManus. Four spells at East Fife over a twenty-year career. Nine clubs in two countries, and overall he's made over four hundred and fifty appearances. Scored basically a goal every two games. It kind of works out. So I mean, we've got him coming up later in the show, and I'm really looking forward to to chatting with him, Lee. Yeah, I mean. You say that about using the term legend, you know, for somebody like Paul McManus, that's absolutely the case. I mean, he scored so many good goals, but not just good goals, important goals for us. And do you want to know what? Just off the bat, I just a really likable guy as well. Always had a great interaction with him as a, as a player. You know, he was always the first to um, to talk to fans. Um, a, a great, great guy. Yeah. So before we get to Paul, just uh, have a we'll have a little bit of a chat and. The, the lockdown's obviously continuing for everyone. Football is kind of shut down. And one thing I was going to talk about in last week's show, but we, we kind of just overran a little bit. So I thought I'd hold it back to this week is, I mean, what, what have you been doing to keep yourself entertained with no football or no live football to, to watch on TV over this, Lee? Especially like football-wise, have you been taking this opportunity to kind of catch up with some old matches or anything like that? I've done a wee bit, obviously, research um, for the podcast and, you know, in advance interviewing Paul, I was watching quite a lot of his goals on YouTube. I've been reaching out to to other people to get them on the cast, so um, get them onto the show, sorry. Um, so I've been reading up on, on their careers and stuff. So there's been a little bit of that. A non-BS answer would be that I've um, got my daughter who keeps me busy during the day, but at nights has been purely reserved for Call of Duty Warzone, which is absolutely taking over mine and my friends lives but um, it's been good fun um, I've tried to catch a little bit of the Bundesliga but I, I can't overly say that I've, I've found it enjoyable to watch but I'm um, looking forward to getting the Premier League back in a few weeks time and getting stuck into that but funnily enough um, on the back of our conversation last week about my idea about them charging fans to stream games it looks like it's something that they're interested in now so somebody at the SFA has potentially been listening to our, our, our pod mic I will have a we'll have a little bit of chat about that later in the show as well. I, I've I've been like I I'm lucky I, I've still got access to a lot of like UK TV and stuff, so I've been watching a lot of the the old match of the day shows that they've been putting on and stuff like that. I've been watching the darts as well, the darts at home. I'm a couple of days behind. I'm just a, I didn't get a chance to to watch the first semi final on on Thursday yet, so uh, I've I've got that to watch. I've been enjoying that. It's like rare live sport. The Bundesliga as well, I, I've never had interest in German football, so I didn't have it before this, and even though it's the first big league back, I've, I've not had any interest in watching it. A guy that I, I know and spoke to from over here, Alfonso Davies, is playing there, he's lighting it up for Bayern Munich, that's about the only interest that I've got in the Bundesliga, but what I have bizarrely found an interest in the Belarus Premier League, a lot of folk will know that never shut down despite the, the coronavirus. So when I heard that that was going, I had a look at the league table. There was a, a team called Sluts. So how can you not support a team, <laughs> team called Sluts? And it turns out I wasn't alone in that because there's a worldwide Slut supporters group that got set up by some Australian guys and it's like grown to a couple of thousand folk. So I've been watching every Sluts game because it's, they're streamed live and for free on YouTube with Belarusian commentary, but they've been allowing the fans in and 
bit crazy, really, because of everything that's happening. And th- there's been players tested positive. There was one team that couldn't play for two weeks because their their team was quarantined. But it's it's been enjoyable watching that. I've even got a pre-order in for a slut shirt that I'm I'm going to be wearing. I, I was just going to say I've always had an affinity with sluts, but um, maybe not in the same sense. I think it's because we're both from Glenrothes. I think that's uh, probably, probably. <laughs> those Glenrothes high school girls, mate. <laughs> but the other league I've been watching is the the Faroe Islands Premier League, and I, again, this was a league I'd no interest in before, but it it was a league that came back because they'd had 187 tests of coronavirus on the island, but all 187 people recovered, so they started their league season allowing fans into the game. And for me, that's the difference between the Bundesliga and something like that, is you've got the atmosphere from the fans. But I've just, I have fallen in love with the Faroe Islands Premier League. The grounds are beautiful. Think Bayview, think Gayfield, right down by the water. Beautiful, beautiful views over the fjords. And I've adopted a team called Vikinger Gotha. And I've been getting up at like 7am here to watch their matches live. That's how how avid I have I've been to watching this. And I, I, I genuinely, even when normal football's back, I'm going to start watching, continue watching this because I've, I've loved it. And I know we've probably got some listeners that have gone to watch football in the Faroes, either with Scotland or Wraith Rovers. <laughs> if, I, if I can say that, I don't want to really say their name too much. But I, I, I put out on my own Facebook a request, if anyone's been to games in Faroes, and you've got photographs of the games. Could you get in touch with me? Because I wanted to kind of do some articles on it. So shoot me an email at aftn at hotmail.co.uk. And yeah, if you haven't checked it out yet, check out the games on YouTube. Beautiful football. That's, well, I, I must admit, when we started doing this podcast, I wouldn't be, uh, ever have thought that we'd be talking about sluts and Vikings. But here we are, uh, second episode. Yeah. <laughs> I'd, I'd bizarrely even had a, a conversation with a guy in Nova Scotia who I got into watching the games, and we might do a Faroe Islands podcast. That's how weird this lockdown has been. Yeah, I think that the sooner we get out of this, the better. <laughs> uh, maybe. But like the good thing to come out of it is we've started this podcast, so I mean, it, it's fantastic. And yeah. uh, the big bulk of this podcast is not going to just be us chatting. We're going to have some of that in the shows. It's going to be our player interviews. So let's get right to the first one just now. And a man, as I said, he spent four spells at East Fife. Who knows, we might even see him back for a fifth one one day or he might be back in some kind of coaching capacity. But he's been a, a player that's got a 20-year career. So let's hear now from Paul McManus. So delighted to say that we're joined now by our first ever guest on Glory Days of Gold. So welcome to a, a man that spent four different stints at, at East Fife. Welcome, Paul McManus. Thanks for having me. So uh, first thing really to, to ask you, Paul, I mean, obviously during the, the lockdown, folk have been kind of dealing with stuff in different ways. How, how have you been during this? How have you found it? And like, how, how are you doing just now? Uh, just now I'm back working. I was off for four or five weeks there and uh, I was doing a wee bit of practicing on my DIY in the garden, so that kept me sort of busy. Just for the, obviously for hanging up the boots at the end of the season or whatever, whenever I'm going to do it. But uh, no, I've just I've kept myself busy and it's been good to get back 
in the house with the family and stuff like that because as a football player you don't actually get any time with the family so obviously I spent my last two years there up at Cove where I was getting back all, all times of night so Aye, it's been it's been enjoyable, and the kids have obviously loved having me here, and also it's been good all for all everybody all around. So what we're going to do with you during this chat is we'll we'll have a kind of a, a look through your career. Obviously, focus a, a lot of stuff on on your times at, at East Fife, but like going way back to to when it all kind of started. When when did you know that you had what it took to to kind of be a professional footballer? I suppose you didn't really, you don't really know. It's a case of just hoping and like obviously working hard for a young, for a young age. I've always, I always remember like growing up with my brothers out in the street kicking the ball, but well, the, the, the whole street, basically about 20, 30 boys on one, one wee pitch kicking the ball. But I always felt even then I had something different compared to what other, other players had. Uh, even back at school, there was a lot of good players at the school and that, but when we obviously went down for lunchtime and stuff like that, you would always be. The one that would take maybe four and five players on and then put the ball in the net. I was just maybe you could say I was greedy because I knew I, could, I was good with the ball. But nah, I think uh, like grew, I grew up in a, a town called Pachuca in Glenoffice and uh, we had a concrete football pitch out the back of my house. And I was out there for I'm talking like maybe three o'clock in the afternoon after school, right back out there till eleven o'clock at night. My mum and dad would never be able to get me in for my dinner and nothing like that. It was just constantly out with a ball so I suppose I think that's that sort of helped me growing up because it's always something I've always wanted to be in. you can never say you'll get a chance it's just sometimes it's a wee bit a wee bit a bit luck and I, I did get a wee bit of luck at the, when I obviously when I came through at East 5 youth team so uh, at a young age I'd say I knew I had something that other players didn't have and I knew I had that willpower to obviously try and get to where I wanted to be at school, there was always times where teachers would give you an essay or whatever to write something about yourself. And all I ever wrote was, wanted to be a football player, wanted to be a football player. They're like, what if you're not going to be a football player? What are you going to do? And I'm like, I'm going to be a football player. I just, I just knew I just knew that I was obviously destined to be a football player. And thankfully, obviously, it turned out and I've enjoyed my career so far. Like When you were a kid, like did you go and watch any of the local teams or who did you grow up supporting? Uh, I've always been a Celtic man. Uh, I wouldn't say I'm a Celtic man now, though, I think because I've obviously played football, I like to see them doing well and that, but I've never really focused my attention on Celtic anymore. It's more, mainly actually East Fife, believe it or not. It's after the games on a Saturday and that, I'm always coming out checking these Fife school and stuff like that. It's just, it's grew on me East Fife, the, the club, and uh, I mean, it will continue to grow on me for many years to come, but uh, it was just, uh, I don't know, it was just, I just love football. I bet you say that to all the, the podcasts, Paul, that that's who your new team is. I always get asked. <laughs> I always mention his faith. Uh, but it's easy to say that because I've been back four times. I could have probably came back even more than four times. But obviously, just it's always been a club. Obviously, when I started my football career, where I got my chance. So you're always going to be grateful for that chance that the club obviously gave me when at a young age. I think it was 17 when I first broke through. So you've got uh, obviously a wee bit of respect for his faith in that way. And how did signing for us come about, Paul? Like, so how did you, you know, East Fife's interest? Where did it come from? Well, for a young age, I was I played all my football through in Glasgow, and uh, obviously my mum and dad moved up to here, so I had a, a team in Glasgow on a, a Saturday and a team here on uh, the Sunday. So it was Celtic Northern Era Boys Club in Glasgow. We had actually James McFadden. Uh, yeah. He 
our team. I was playing, I played with James McFadden for about three or four seasons. Uh, another player, Joe Boyle, who made it senior. He didn't really finish it senior, but he'd, uh, I think he retired about 26, 27. And then we've had Mick Dunlop, who's still playing. Uh, actually, his brother's at his five just now. Yeah. Played with him and also, from that age, it was right up to the under nines, I think it was under tens at Celtic and the Glenoffish Strollers. And then from then on, I went from uh, Celtic to West West Park. No, sorry, it, was, it wasn't West Park. It was uh, St Murn. I was playing with St Murn's youth team. Even then, I think I was only 15, 16 in the youths. And then I got to play with the reserve team because I was doing so well with the, the first team, the, sorry, the youth team. So I was playing, basically I was playing reserve football at the age of 16, 17, which back then... It was kind of no hurting. I was doing really well. I played a lot, a lot with Simon Lappin, who played for Norwich City. Yeah. There was obviously Mark Yardy, who I, basically I played with at Albion Rovers as I was growing up. Uh, there was a lot of ex, ex good football players in that reserve team and all that was breaking through for the first team at St Murn, who were, I think they were in the top end of the championship at the time. But I, after that, I'd, uh, I was supposedly supposed to get a full-time contract so I, was sta- I stayed through in Glasgow because my granddad stayed at the back of Parkhead and uh, I was staying, staying with him and I would just get a train at uh, Paisley and then go and obviously train every day with St Murn. I was in the full-time scene there for maybe six, seven weeks before they can get a contract sorted. And it turned out at the end there, which I thought was a bit harsh on me, that the contract was getting ripped away because of the cost cuts at the club. So it was oh. basically back to square one again. And I think I was only, as I say, 17-year-old. I came back up the road and I was, I was disheartened, but I ended up, uh, I probably went off, off the rail wee, but I was running about with, like, obviously, my pals and that, who obviously were quite into their drinking and stuff like that, but I was never one for drinking at that point, and then I started to obviously see the, the other side of what the other boys were doing, so I was I was going out at nightclub and the 18-year-old and stuff like that, and then I ended up actually falling out with my dad, and I ended up moving in with my mate, uh, Matthew, and uh, one day I was walking past the house. I, I hadn't spoken to my dad for about, I think it was about six, seven weeks. And uh, I just stayed with him. I was just enjoying it. Being obviously, I never touched a drink all my days. 18-year-old, obviously hitting the nightclubs and that. It was all really enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And my dad seen me walking past the street one day. And he just pulled me in off the street and just gave me, obviously, the biggest warning ever. He said, because he spent a lot of time with me with my football and stuff like that, travelling. Yeah. A lot of pe- petrol expenses and that, uh, so he sort of just said to me, look, you need to get a grip yourself and get yourself back, and back to the football and that things will pick up. And I end up, there was an old manager who I played with at Celtic North, who was at West Park United. And that was yeah. another, another big big team in Glasgow that basically produced a lot of good football players. So my dad was like, I'll get you through there and we'll get you off a drink and that and just concentrate on your football again. So, I mean, I wasn't really bad with it. It was maybe about three, three four months. I just went off the rails and that. Yeah. I decided to go back to West Park United. And uh, I played a few games for him. I remember the first game my dad said to me, because I hadn't played football for three, three, four months, he said, you're going to be struggling here when you play this game, so make sure you're doing, obviously, you're breathing and everything like that. And I think I lasted 25 minutes and I had to come off the park because I was sick. And I was disgusted. <laughs> I showed you how unfit I was. And even that young, you know, you're a young boy, you should be really fit. But I just, I'd let myself go a wee bit. So I concentrated on getting really, really fit. And I think it was about... The season came to an end with West Park United. I won all the awards and stuff like that. But uh, at the end of that season, 
Danny Hendry, who was a, he stayed in Pachuca actually, so he always sort of kept in close contact to people that knew my dad or knew my family and that. And yeah. uh, he basically came up to my house and says, look, we'd like to get him down at East Fife Youth Team. So that was a no-brainer. It was like everything I'd worked hard for after leaving St Mum, it just basically yeah. felt a wee bit to go and play with the youths. And because it was a professional club, you felt, well, it's a good club to go to, to obviously to start your career. And I think I went down there for five months or something like that, but a really good youth team. We had John Ovenston, Aaron McDonald, Stevie Ferguson, who went to Tottenham, yeah. uh, Conrad Kurtz, we had Lofton, who sadly passed away. I don't think who else. Some good Chris Butt. We had a really, really good squad, and uh, we just, there was a lot of good talent that could basically maybe step up to the first team. And I was probably the one, I think Conrad Kurtz was actually the first one that actually got into the first team. But it was Fergie. Yeah. Fergie got in the first team and obviously he was in and out of the subs bench and stuff like that until obviously his moment came where he was just scoring every week and he got his move to Tottenham. And the next one was Conrad. Conrad was in maybe four, four or five weeks or something. We were away with the first team on a Saturday. And then obviously I got in. I was playing right mid for the, for the youth team then. And uh, I think I was top goal scorer. I finished top goal scorer in the youth. So I scored about 20 odd goals. But I was always a striker in my day, but I think, I don't know what it was, because Fergie was up top. I thought, we'll put him in the wing because he can still score goals. And I, and I did I set yeah. up a lot of goals and all, but Danny, uh, Rab Sharon was a manager at East Fife at the time. And uh, every training session, the youth trained alongside the first team. Mm-hmm. So basically, Rab was always shouting me over. And I would always be at look out to wait and see if he's going to shout me. And when he didn't shout me, I felt disappointed. That's just because I, I just felt I was ready to get in there and get stuck in there, but... He shouted me off many a times, and I think Thomas, my cousin, was there at the time, and all. He was on loan for Hibs at the time, so I, I sort of settled into the way they, they were playing their football and that. Do you know, it wasn't a young boy running in, and he'd all other place, like Hesley Chicken and that, but it was just, uh, I settled in really well, I done really well with the first team, and it was just, they never really threw me in every week, it was just, I think he was trying to build up my hunger, to see how I'd react, with no cup getting sent over one week, and then bringing back here the next week. Yeah. And then from then on, it just, I, I was in the first team the following season. I, I got in before Rav Shannon got sacked. Uh, I was coming off the bench a few times and that, and I'd get chances and that, and I was blazing them out of the bar and everything. I'm just, I was in the right areas, but I just never had that composure. And I felt that sort of stopped me from getting in the first team like how Fergie did. And uh, within the end of the season, I did get in the first team. So I was really happy. You, so who did you make your debut against then, Paul? Uh, you still remember? My starting debut? Yeah, first it start. Was, it was Hamilton, I think, away at Third Park. Hamilton were getting their, their stadium built up and they were using part of Thistle's ground. So I basically, I didn't even know, even though, I can't, to be honest, I couldn't even remember. I was so nervous. I think Danny had told me before the game, like, you're starting the day because it was, it was Danny Henry and Davey Gorman who took an assistant manager's role when Drab yeah, was yeah. He took over with Danny and they basically said to me on the way through to Glasgow, look, you're starting it there. And I was crapping it in the back of the car. <laughs> but, uh, I got, as I say, you build up your sort of, as a young boy, you just didn't know what to expect. Because I remember coming, I was coming off a bench at East Fife at the time with Rab. I was blown at my heart, sir. Just honestly, I couldn't even breathe there. I was like, this game is so fast. It looks easy in the stand. And then you get thrown yeah. in. You're playing every week in youth team and that. And then you get thrown in at the deep end. And I just didn't know where to look or where to breathe or nothing. It was just to get the players that I was playing against were probably mediocre players, but they were just up to the speed that they yeah. should have been because they were used to playing first-team football. 
just that sort of like you said about composure and experience that you know when you're probably getting thrust into the team at what 18 year old and you're, you're always going to have that bit of apprehension and knowing when to put your foot in and when to have a shot rather than pass it or try to take on a man but did it, obviously your first game was Hamilton for Park do you remember what your first senior goal was then? That same day Oh you scored your debut? Aye it was a uh, it was scorching it was really really warm and I kept the Hamilton defence, I remember they, were, they used to keep track play a high line so that I would obviously not be able to run back. But uh, I, I managed to get in two or three times. And, uh, I was, and again, I was snatching at the shots. And at half-time, Danny pulled me aside and he said, look, just go and do what you do in the youth team. Just relax. Because at that, t- at that point in your, in your career, when the ball comes to you, all you're wanting is to give it back. Give it back yeah. to you as quick as possible because you don't want to make mistakes. But I sort of, the second half, I went out and I was like, do you know what? I should be relaxing here. I'm better than this. And then, yeah. I mind who played the pass. Somebody played the pass over the top. Uh, may it have been Gordon Love or something. I can't mind who it was. And uh, played it over the boy's head and I ran in again. And the keeper came out and I just chipped him. And I couldn't, honest, do you know that way? Your first senior goal, even to, like, to this day, you get shivers thinking about it. But it was great when it hit the net. I just celebrated it madly. So... I was really proud, obviously. My, obviously, my dad was in the stand and I watched that too. So, my goal, it set me off, basically, because I think it was near the end of the season. And I got to be breaking yeah. the pre-season. And then, obviously, the new, the new coaching staff came in at East Fife after that. So, who was it that came in after that, then? Uh, it was Davy Clark and Mike Marshall. Mike yeah. Marshall just passed away and all, just no long ago there. Uh, yeah, I know. That's a shame. Um, he's, he's, I used to actually work with his son at Morrison's. Um, it's a, a total sin but obviously my memories um, I actually think I went to school with one of your other cousins Mich- uh, Michelle yeah that's my wee and, sister uh, your wee sister is it I, th- I thought she was your cousin um, four boys and four girls oh, Jesus there must have not been much on the telly at that time then Paul <laughs> <laughs> but um, no I remember Michelle um, I had an East Fife wallet and I was at the vending machine and she goes are you an East Fife fan? And it must have been brothers. Just like, oh, Paul plays for them. And then I, I said, oh, where's he going? And I, I wanted to say that it was Blackburn. Did you go to Blackburn on a trial? Obviously, that that season with Mike Marshall, that came in. I owe a lot of credit to Mike Marshall because, like, I'd always, because I stayed local, he's like, get yourself down here an hour before training. Because of what I was like the season before, where I, like, snatching its chances and everything. He would just set up all these goals and drills and everything when I was just going through and no blasting the ball. It was just a just side foot it into the corner. So he had all the wee markers yeah. and everything like that. And honestly, I worked on it, I'd say, probably two or three times a week, even when I wasn't doing it East Fife. I was just doing yeah. it my own bit and just trying to relax. And it sort of composed me for obviously the season starting. But we went into that season and uh, I scored, I think it was the, in the first half of the season, I think I scored 16 goals or something before Christmas. So there was a lot of attention on me because obviously they sold Stevie Ferguson for two hundred and seventy-five grand, and uh, they sort of felt. Well, I know Danny felt I was a no disrespect to Stevie, but he felt I was a better player than uh, Stevie Ferguson. Stevie yeah. Ferguson had great ability; he just his pace was explosive. That's what got him his goals. But yeah. uh, so it was, I think it was Danny was just poor, obviously trying to get me in that mode. Of, like, you could get your move here if you if you work hard, sort of thing. Eh? So. Yeah. I ended up going 16 goals and there was Blackburn, Man City and Charlton and I had the choice to go to all three and uh, what happened was, what persuaded it was my cousin Tam knows Button O'Brien who 
who's down at Blackburn with David McNamee and the big boy Gordon Greer, who's oh yeah yeah, played for Scotland and Kamarnock and that and all. So it was a case of just uh, basically my Uncle Thomas phoned my dad and said, look, tell him to go to Blackburn and Burton and Brian will look after him and stuff like that. So when I went down to Blackburn, I was staying down in a hotel in Preston and uh, Burton and Brian and uh, David McMahon and Gordon Gray would pick me up in the morning. They were only, at that time, they must have been about 19 year old and they were running about with Audi TTs. Honestly, it was, the money it must have been getting thrown at them was doing there was unbelievable. But Blackburn were running Premiership then too with Graham Sunnis. Luckily, I got the chance. To, I, would, I was training with the reserves at Blackburn, and then there was a couple of times when they played midweek game. They played a midweek game against Arsenal, and Taylor on rescored two that night. I, I got to stand in the tunnel because Graham Sunnis said to me, just stand in the tunnel and look at the size of these guys. Because they obviously felt I was a wee guy coming from Scotland. They, they muscled me. I'm not I'm just a young boy. He obviously felt I needed to bulk up a bit. And uh, he said, Dave Parler. He said, what, how do you think, what do you think he looks big in the telly? And I was like, no, he looks quite small. He said, well, wait, wait till he comes out the dressing room and have a look at him. And then, honestly, this guy was massive. Eh? Then you have Patrick Vieira, who's even bigger than him. But I sat there and watched, obviously, the game and that. But they would just come and pick me up. And then training, I got to train the next day, actually. One of the first team players, they were on a cool-down session. It was Damien Duff, eh, Andy Cole, Dave Dunn, two guy. Graham Sunnis, he, he actually joined in and he must, I don't know what age he was then, he was frightening and training. Mark Hughes, and I got to do all the shooting drills and everything like that. I'd done really well, I'd say that the first two days I'd done really well because it was all football sided things. And then yeah. third and fourth day, they had uh, a running, the, the reserve basically were on a pre season training. So I had to do a lot of running with, with them. And even though I'm a really fit guy, back then, I was at the end of the halfway through a season of football where these guys weren't even. Obviously, the scene hadn't even started, and I just felt like my legs were just no built up, no strong for doing what they were doing. They were doing it on sand and stuff like that. And I was just, yeah. I think nearly spewed actually. And then, uh, three, I think the latter end of the, the trial, two or three days, as I say, I was training with the first team in reserves, and I, I looked at actually really, done really well. And soonest actually had pulled me aside, I had to go to his office, and he'd said that look, we're working out stuff with his five just now, and we'll obviously we'd like to keep him here another week, but his five was obviously wanting things done too quick eh? so I think Bruce Black was the instigator and all I'm not sure how, how it worked but it was a case he he's just said to me look just go home and uh, we'll keep tabs on you and we'll basically keep tabs where he's five but they're just playing hard to get there now so I don't know what the ins and outs were but my agent at the time was George Wright and uh, he basically was obviously informed me every week what was happening with this club and that club and it just it just petered to nothing so I was a bit disappointed in that because I could have probably went to Man City and that and all, but after I'd chosen Blackburn before them, it was like, it just got washed away at the side eh? so that's how that went yeah. down, but I ended up coming up the road and uh, obviously there was still a lot of hype. I was reading stuff in the papers all the time, eh? like, you know, you'd get, always get a paper that would be something about Paul Manassas, Celtic yeah. and all that, but I never ever took to that. I just, my concentration was on my football all the time. Eh? It was never, my dad would never allow me to do that, but there was a, I think it was Rafe Rovers, was Peter Hairston was the manager. They were in the championship at the time when Nacho Novo and that was there. Yeah, yeah. And they invited me in for a week after I came back. So I had a week with them. I'd done really well. And then they put a bid in, I think it was 50 grand or something like that. And uh, East Five knocked it back because obviously they're looking to get this 275 grand that they thought they'd get for me, the same as what they got for Fergie, which is understandable, yeah. but 
you like I had no no saying it at all because I was under twenty four, so they had that yeah. new that clause then that under twenty four. Right. Yeah, so it turns out that when I came back, they Rafe Rovers said, "Look, we'll boost monitor monitor every every end of, till the end of the season because he's a free free agent then. We'll maybe take him to a tribunal sort of thing." Yeah. So Kamarnak actually came in, Jim Jeffries and Billy Brown. And uh, Ali Mitchell, and that was he stays obviously, he just stays down the road for me just now. Yeah. They Kamarnak, I got a trial at Kamarnak, and it was meant to be a two week trial. I ended up being down there for six weeks because they just they were playing me in all these games and I kept scoring in all these games. I was playing all these trialists and everything. Done really well. And Jim Jeffries pulled me aside at the end of it and says, Look, we want to sign you. We, we, we see you being in our first team by the end of the next season now. So at that point, I was only 1920. No, I was 19-20, so I was obviously buzzing with that. And then nego- negotiating again was going on with the board at East Fife and then uh, Kamarnock. And I think Kamarnock put a bid in, 75,000 know, add-ons and stuff like that, and it got accepted. Actually, I was out playing with my pals, playing football down the street, and my dad phoned me to say to me, look, you need to come up the road because you need to go and sign this deal. Cause it, I think it was in the j- January Monday. Yeah, so, right. Like you better come up and get a deal done. We need to go through to uh, Glasgow to meet the uh, Jim Jeffries and that. So I was obviously on my way up the road, and then I think it was about 10, 15 minutes after that he phoned me. Uh, Jim Muffet was a manager of East Fife at the time, and just wished, congratulate me. The deal had went through and everything. He was wishing me all the best and that. So I was delighted with that. And then on the way through, it was a case of. The agent had phoned back my dad saying he's fired pulled out again. So it was just, I think they tried to get more money in at that point. And that's how it actually petered out where I had to go to Rafe Rovers because I felt like they were stopping me in my tracks to go and doing something full time. Yeah. And you've not got to say it because you're under 24. And I understand that they've obviously spent a lot of time with me, producing me into the first team and stuff like that and all. But I just felt that Bruce Black was asking a bit too much. I thought the deal on the table was a really good deal for somebody 18 that had never been full-time or uh, playing professional. Yeah. professional. I think it was a season and a half then, man. so it was a bit disappointing. I suppose that's the difference when you've got a, and no disrespect to Kilmarnock, when you've got a Kilmarnock and you've got a Spurs, you know, Spurs playing in the Premier League, getting Premier League money, they could afford to just take a punt on 275k. Yeah. Whereas you, if, if you're at a, a Kilmarnock, you know, even 75k is a gamble, particularly in what the, the late, so the early 2000s, something like that. So, I, I mean, I, I understand that the, the club would have probably wanted to, to get that extra money. They would just have had the pound signs in front of their eyes. But, I mean, it, it's disappointing to, to hear that. Because, I mean, then it makes sense now totally why you did go to Wraith. Obviously, for these five fans, going to a rival kind of broke our hearts a little bit. But it's not quite like bet. Celtic Wraith or, or Hibs Hearts or, or anything like that. But, yeah. I mean... Did, did it cross your mind at all going to play for a rival? Like, what kind of reception you would get from these five fans? No, not really. Not, I think I think what persuaded, obviously, Rafe Rovers to take the, the gamble, was, I don't know if you remember, but we played Rafe in the Cup. I think we were 2-0 two, two two up, I think it was. We ended up getting beat 3-2. Nacho Novo scored the winner. And I was playing against Sean Dennis. And uh, I think that's the, the first time he's ever had to run in a football match because I just kept running around channels and everything. And he actually said to me the week I was in after that on trial and that to say that you, you need to stop your running and that you just kind of stop running, you can you? But uh, no, it was that sort of I think that's what persuaded Rafe to go for me. But at the same time, East Five was only my first real football club, so I didn't. There was no like I know it's quite tough to say, and I, I wouldn't say that now, but back then it was it was just a club. 
it was a case of just yeah. right, let's try and get full time now. I want to get full time. That was my aim to get full time. So looking back, cannot you know, have no regrets to be honest with you with that with uh, leaving East Fife and then going to Rafe. And I probably had no regrets leaving Rafe to go back to East Fife. <laughs> 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 these things happen. It's football's a short short uh, game, uh, so it's a case of just getting the best deal you can for yourself and. Obviously, yeah. yeah. That's what I mean. I, I think that that's maybe something like fans at lower league clubs. They're so passionate. They maybe don't quite put themselves in the players' position. It's like you're part time. You're not making big money. Yeah. You've yeah. got to try and do the best of, of, of like what you can in a short career. Although, I mean, yourself, you've had a long career. It's like been 20, 20 seasons or twenty years. I think I worked out it was. Yes, seasons or whatever. Ongoing. Uh, but I mean. Four spells at, at East Fife, and I know you, you mentioned you could have had more, played under so many different managers as well during those spells. Is there any in particular that stand out as being your favourites? Not necessarily from like winning stuff, but just from helping you bring on your career and just who you actually enjoyed playing under. Yeah, I think they've all got different attributes. Uh, David Clark and Mike Marshall, as I say, they spent a lot of time in me. They had a lot of faith in me and all, and they gave me my chance. We've always got to give them the respect for that. Uh, Dave Bakey, he was another good manager who probably, I think he should still be in, in the coaching side at the now, playing at the, the lower league, Scottish lower league. So then you've got Gary Naismith, who I've got a lot of time for, who I think it's disappointing that he's not even at a club now. So he's, cause he's done a, I thought he'd done a good job at Queen of South and all. Was, I mean, you can't even win every game. They just... It's, it's like you're four or five games away from a, a, a fair sacking now, do you know what I mean, if you're not getting the results. But yeah. I'm sure he'll obviously, he was great for the professionalism, the training, just this really enjoyment of being at, at the club, do you know what I mean? I mean, there's still the same boys that still doing there uh, from when Gary was there, so it says a lot about Gary, do you know what I mean? Uh, but I know it's, it's, I would, I'd say the door had different attributes and st- really, really enjoyed playing under them. I mean, from the spells, and you had about seven or eight seasons altogether with these five. I think the one that's probably going to stand out for the fans the most, maybe yourself as well, is that 2007-2008 championship winning season. Yeah. You got 17 goals that year. It was the first time that the club had won a championship in 60 years. But what was it like being part of the club for such a historic occasion? Uh, when I, obviously, when I signed, you look at the calibre of players that you signed, I think a lot of folk had their money on us to win the league anyway, but it's never guaranteed, do you know what I mean? It's, you can put a lot of money into a club and you've seen, obviously, it's happened to other clubs in the past that uh, money doesn't buy success. So that team, obviously, we had your Dougie Camerons and Jays and uh, Bobby Lins, Stephen Tweeds and that. It was a really good squad, but it was a really together in a squad. It was everybody all mucked in together. We all had a good laugh. But when they came to a Saturday, we knew that you know this was the time they obviously knuckled down and get the points because Willie Gray had put a lot of money on us to to obviously win the league. I think that was fifty. Was it fifty years or something before they had won a league title? Or? Sixty, which is like incredible. That's it, and it's to be part of that. I mean, it was the best, probably the best time of my career out with what happened to me at Cove because obviously we came for the higher league to the, to the Scottish League first higher league team to do it that's obviously had a big impact on my, my career too so I know they've, they've both obviously been good times and uh, they were great squads to be part of I actually had Bobby Lynn and Jay Smart phoning me half drunk uh, three nights ago at 11 o'clock at night house party 
carrying on going to me. So they're just we're just reminiscing all the, the good times we had at East Fife and that. Eh? There was yeah. there was actually a story I'll tell you now. I would say there was two players involved. I won't name them, but we're up at Peterhead. This was obviously with Dave Bakey's. That was the second season after we'd won the the championship. So we're all carrying. There's always that carry on in the dressing room all the time. You hear about the boys shining shoes and stuff like that, right? This was a wee bit different. <laughs> One of the boys had uh, put his fun- finger where the sun don't shine, and another boy was sitting reading the, the program out in the football pitch and went up and just rubbed it across his nose. <laughs> <laughs> the boy, the boy had done it. Obviously ran in and sat in the dressing room. And he was sitting reading his programme thinking everything was all right. And they were all laughing and carrying on. All the boys couldn't believe what had happened. So the next thing, the boy in question comes in. He sticks his two fingers up his nose because he'd been sitting there with his finger doing the shine for about 10 minutes with his two fingers there. <laughs> his nostrils. <laughs> the whole dressing room was in an uproar of laughing and carrying on and that. We ended up getting beat. I think we got beat. I can't remember what the score was. I think we got beat 3-1 or something. And Dave Bakey come in at the end of the game there. And I swear to God, we're just, obviously we're disappointed. We've forgotten all what happened at the start of the game, but we're disappointed we've been beaten, especially up at Peter Hayden for the bus journey home. And uh, Dave Bakey just comes out, he's like, oh, fucking having it. Couldn't stick their fingers up my arses before. Then Bakey started laughing because everybody else was laughing. It was just... <laughs> Jay, as we were talking about that night when Bobby and Jay phoned me, it was just surreal. It was so funny, eh? We're going to have uh, Bobby Lynn on the show in a few weeks, so um, I'll, I'll definitely need to ask him about that, but you've got to tell us who it was, Paul. You can't, you can't leave us hanging like that. One of them was Jay Smart, and I'll not say who the other one was. <laughs> <laughs> Why doesn't that surprise me about Jay Smart? <laughs> So we've got a question to ask you, Paul, from that season um, from one of our Twitter followers, Max McCarroll. So he wants to know, how did Dave Bakey keep the momentum going through that record-breaking season? Because, I mean, obviously we eclipsed the, the record for winning the, the season in the shortest amount of time. And, I mean, even when Rangers were in our league, they didn't get near that. So how, how did Bakey keep that going, you know, and, and keep you guys motivated to do that? Uh, I think it was only a matter of time before we won the league. Uh, we knew that during the season obviously well playing teams off the park some of the football we played was actually was excellent but uh, Dave Bakey wasn't he the type of manager would rant and roar apart from obviously that time up at Peter Header but he was the type of manager who we'd always go pre, like before games for, for instance we'd always go for a pre-match meal down in the leaving down at the the Cali across from the Cali I can't remember what part it is it's one mm-hmm. of the back shut now we used to go there for pre-match all the time. Boys used to hate going for pre-match, especially when it was a home game. But we just we done it anyway. But he was never the type of guy that would just rant and rave. He was just like so calm. Right, we're going to do this, go do that. You do that job, you do that job. And basically, it all just clicked together. I think when you've got good players in different positions, like you didn't rely on strikers scoring goals. The goals that, that season went right through the team. There was Dougie Cameron. I think he scored about nine or ten goals from penalties. Obviously, I had to fight for him half the time to get him off him. But, uh, yeah, smart. The defenders and that they were on bonuses for goals too. They were on uh, yeah. uh, goal bonuses and clean sheet bonuses and all that season from Wally Gray. So it was a big right. that way for obviously. I know it shouldn't be for money and that, but there was an incentive there every week to obviously go and to win games. Eh? And Wally always came in and he would sort of relax us too, just be saying, "Right lads, it's no uh, one bonus a day. It's a double one bonus." Do you know what I mean? So you'd be like. Double win bonus, so it was great. Eh? So 
<laughs> I he never really had to do much. I think what the players there it was that was there were all professional enough to understand that with high up in the league they now just keep our feet on the ground and just play the way we usually play and that's that's how we ground out results half the thing. I mean that's that season from a fan's perspective was absolutely amazing, but from what I remember, I, I know that we, we clinched the the title away at East Stirling and I think you scored that day, Paul, actually, if I remember right. Um, but that scored two. So there I still remember the goals. But the week before that we could have won. And I had I was working at a MGT call centre at the time and the manager let me away like at like twenty five past two to go across to watch the game at three o'clock. And I can't remember who it was against, but we didn't win. And I, basically, I had to work the following Saturday. Was it at, at your right eye. Was your that, right. Yeah. Sure. No, I, I can't it, Did we not draw the, draw the game, I think? Oh, I remember Templeman scored a header. And I just remember that week, like, how the hell am I going to get off this following Saturday to see us win the title? And I ended up phoning in sick for the entire week because I knew we would beat East Sterling. Uh, but I... <laughs> Um, sorry, sorry to Andy Nicholson uh, for MGT if you're listening to this, but I, I pulled a sickie to watch us win that title. <laughs> uh, no, they were, uh, that, was, that game, I remember that game like yesterday, it was a high intensity game and all because we brought a big support. I think it was about 1,500 East 5 fans or something, or maybe 2,000. Yeah. Uh, I've still got the videos actually, and I check them out now and again on YouTube and stuff like that. Uh, Bobby Lynn, I think, set me up twice. I missed the first, first shot, an easy shot. Should have bust the net with it, and the keeper saved it. And it went at an angle, and I remember just running from the angle and smashing this thing right underneath the, keep, the goalkeeper, and the crowd just gone mental. Eh? But I think the second one that was probably my probably my, my most enjoyable one. The the second one when I beat the, the offside trap and Bobby's played me through mm-hmm. in between two defenders, and I've screwed it past the keeper with my left foot. Playing with somebody like Bobby Lynn must have been an absolute pleasure for somebody <laughs> like you, Paul. That you know you're playing off the. They sort of back of defenders and, and Bobby's so great with the ball at his feet, he must have been brilliant to play with. You just you just knew that it would t- if you time your run and just get in between two defenders, the ball was coming through. He was that's so accurate with his passing that he's actually the most underrated football player I've that I've ever known. Eh? And I keep in yeah. touch with him, you know. I know it's obviously I'm bumming him up here because he's one of my my mates now, he's one of my good friends in football, but he's everybody talks about him. Everybody says he yeah. should have played at a higher level. I don't know why he's not played at a higher level, but yeah, the best players that I've played when it's I knew when I played them at Abroof when I signed for Abroof when Bobby was there that I would score goals and most of my goals all came out Bobby Lana. So I can believe that. I mean, I don't know if you you listened to last week's episode when we're talking about our favourite players at East Fife, but even the the, the 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 teams that are coming through from other fans, I, I'm struggling to see one that didn't have Bobby in it. Apart from maybe the older generation, but most of the people in my generation had Bobby in their team. Um, and again, I'm looking forward to getting him on and, and drilling into his uh, mind. But we'll move on from Bobby Lynn since it's your episode, Paul. Um, so obviously, after three more seasons at the club, um, you got your chance to play abroad in Malta, um, which was a from the outside looking in was a bit random. How did that come about, and how did they? Did you sort of always want to play overseas? Uh, to be honest with you, it was a case because, like, obviously, I was on good money at East Fife at the time. Uh, Obviously, it was well reported that the money was getting passed about these five with Willie Gray, but I was on good money, and obviously, before the season had finished, I think Stevie Crawford had got the manager's job. Yeah. Was, there was, Willie had obviously left the club, and then it was wage cuts. It was like, I think I took a 60% wage cut or something like that. And I played that the following season on the 60% wage cut. It wasn't a problem that, that, that way or another, but 
when you've got a mortgage and that, you're looking at, like, how do I pay all this and pay that? Yeah. So I think uh, I got a phone call randomly out of the blue, and it was uh, Michael O'Neill from uh, Shamrock Rovers. He'd, he'd actually phoned me to, to, to get me over to Ireland. I think Gary Twig was over at the time. He was doing really well, scoring goals. And Twiggy played at the same level I was playing basically throughout my career. And uh, I think I think he saw me obviously to go and play alongside Twiggy, just the two of us together. But the deal and everything was all agreed and everything over the phone. And then I think it was about a week later I asked him. I said, "So what happens with the digs and stuff like that?" And he's like, "Oh, you need to stay with Gary, yeah, to Gary Twig." And I was like, "I put there's my wife go there because I've got a mortgage and everything." I was just like, "He's like, you need to pay for that yourself." And I was like, "I'm not going over. I'm not risking all that. You know, like up, up the upheaval and everything, and just obviously paying it a lot of money on flats and stuff like that to go over because." Yeah. I mean, it was a good deal, but I just felt at the time it was just, nah, I think I'll just wait and see. And then at that point, uh, there was an agent called Pavlon Pantanov, who was pals with Brian McNeil, the physio. Yeah. He, he came and got contacted me asking if uh, I fancied going abroad, because obviously he must have heard off Brian that these Cubs from Ireland and everything was what signed me. So, but uh, Pavlon had just said to me, look, sign up with me and I'll, I'll get you abroad. So it was a case of, I signed up with him. It was only a two or three months. We must have been sending all my stats over to the clubs and that. And there was teams in Russia. There was an actually I was actually so close to signing for a team in uh, Latvia called FK Ventspils. That was a really good yeah, offer, yeah. offered over there. But my wife, we just she just didn't want to go to places that she didn't she wouldn't be able to speak the, the language of that. And yeah. then an opportunity in Malta. And the, luckily enough, the, the manager of the team that I played for over there was from Newcastle, Matt Muller. Played all, all his football down in the low leagues in uh, English football, so he'd uh, he'd been on the phone to me and all, saying like, "Look, I really like your stats and that. I would like to come and see you. Is there any chance you get me tickets?" And we were playing. Do you remember the game at Abroth when uh, we were fighting to relegation? I think it was that game. Stevie Crawford was the manager at the time. Aye, aye. We survived the last day. It was he was coming over to watch that, and. Uh, Obviously, I was in contact with Stevie Crawford all the time at, at that time just to let him know that this club was wanting me. I was meant to go over to Latvia for the Russian team to Antalya in Turkey because they were doing their pre-season yeah. season, and they wanted me over but the East Fife and that team were trying to sort out an insurance package to send me over yeah. to I didn't get injured and that and I wasn't coming back injured and stuff like that and nothing really developed with it. And uh, I think because of all that, the carry-on, it led up to that last game. It was the most important game for East Fife's history obviously stay in the league and he so, he dropped me for the last game that last game and I was absolutely raging but see looking back on it I was raging at the time but the, the older I've got the more professional I've got I realised that he was right to do what he'd done he'd done it for the interest of the club and no for the interest of Paul Manas. it was a case of look I need to look after the club and I remember going in actually on the, the Monday negotiating deals and that again for the following season and he uh, shouted me in and he's like uh, Right, I've got a deal here for you, Barbara. I'm like, wait a minute. I said, I'm not here to talk about the deal. I said, I'm here to talk about what happened on Saturday. I said, I said what do you mean? I said, well, he said, but we're safe. I said, I know we're safe, but I said, you shouldn't have dropped me. I said, that guy's came over from Malta to, to obviously come and watch me for a, for obviously a chance to go and play in Malta. And you've stopped me, stopped them doing that. I, I, got on, I think I got on the last 15 minutes and the boy from Malta was like, I've not seen enough of him. I need to see more of him. I need to see him. I do it. So he's like, so did you actually got dropped then? I was like, uh, yourself? <laughs> and, Honestly, <laughs> he was actually still laughing. I, I go brown with Stevie. It was just a young boy, do you know, up your head, above your shoulders and that, thinking he knew everything. But to be fair, I didn't. It was, 
I've got all respect for Stevie Crawford. He's a great guy and a good footballer. And I think he's sort of he's seen this funny side of it a wee bit. And I look, when, I, when I see him, I always talk to him about it, just how he laugh about it, like saying, why did you drop me for that game? But it was a case of when that game had finished, sorry, with the negotiating with his five was finished, the boy, I was on holiday in Dominican and the boy had phoned my agent again saying, look, really interesting him. Is there any way you can get him over for a trial? And I says, look, I'm not coming over for a trial. I say, yeah, I'll sign me or you don't. He said, well, we need evidence to obviously see more of you. So we played Rangers at Memory Stem Park. Yeah, yeah. 4 now, I think it was 4 now. Uh, and I had a DVD, luckily, and I basically said, look, send the DVD over. And it was just obviously, it was a high caliber Rangers squad that night. It was Carlos Queller, Ekiok, Chris Buck, Boyd, Novo. It's a big yeah. Rangers team. So I thought I adapted quite well that night. I'd done a lot of running. I'd never seen much of the ball, but when I did hit the ball, I didn't really give it away. But I'd done a lot of running. So you've seen sort of things that you were probably wanted to see when I was playing up against Abroth that sort of persuaded them. And he said, look, we really want to get him signed, get him over. So it was within like two weeks. My wife was like, we just bought a house in Pachuca. And uh, yeah. my wife uh, basically said to me before I went over, do not sign anything until we're, obviously we've seen it and I've seen it. And I'm like, I need more. So I went over with the two agents and I went into the club and I was, I thought I was just going over to have a look at the facilities and everything. But once I did see all that, I was just like blown away. I was like, I want this. Do you know that was the climate, yeah. everything, just the, a nice apartment. I had a great, great apartment right on the, it was like Marina of um, M Cedar. So uh, it was a case of just, you know what, I'm just going to sign this. I didn't even say it. They phoned me about seven o'clock at night that night, and they were all drinking, obviously, uh, uh, having a good drink, and obviously for signing the contract. And uh, she phoned, she said, So, what's happening? I said, You're coming to Malta. She's like, Shut up. I was like, I'm telling you, I'm going to Malta. I said, but, uh, I need to come over in two or three weeks' time to get the pre season training started, and then you need to obviously do all the other stuff for getting the house sold or letting it out. But we ended up letting it out. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, it was good. It was, as I say, a different climate. It was a uh, train. You trained in the mornings. You trained about eight o'clock in the mornings. You went to the gym, and we had a big fancy hotel where you got free entry in. Everything was always there for you when you went into the hotel. And uh, later on at night, you would train at night, but you never got a day off. It was like you're doing seven days a week, constantly you're training in the morning and then train at night in the morning, train at night. But it was always, if you didn't do the gym work, you were in the pool doing recovery sessions after training the night before. It was a good setup. It was brilliant. I loved all that, though, because I'm that type of, that's what I like about you know, football and keeping fit and stuff like that. But she she hated it because half the time I didn't even see her because I would come home and have my siesta and everything after training. Absolutely knackered. And then we'd go out for lunch and I'd be back in getting ready for training and then go back. Coming back for training, we'd go out for a meal. We hardly ever ate a meal in the, house, in the apartment. It was always eating meals uh, every, every night, yeah. so uh, it's sort of like, mm-hmm. I think I petered out for, for Jenna more than me, because she just she was homesick, yeah. she just wanted yeah. to go, there was times I was coming for training, and I knew she'd been upset, and I'd be like, what's wrong with you, are you alright, and she's like, no, I'm fine, and that, but I just knew she wasn't fine, so her mum and dad, luckily enough, came over four or five times, and my dad came over, and all to come and visit us, just to cheer her up a wee bit, but in the end, I think it was just too much, and it was a case of, you want your football, stay with your football, to stay with your wife. Eh? So obviously, yeah. I did better up there. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> Do you regret I, that, Joyce Paul? <laughs> I don't. I don't I, I'm so happy now because obviously I've got two beautiful kids and that, and everything's set up now. We're doing really well and that. Uh, but I do miss obviously the, when you're working and stuff like that, thinking that 
I remember the manager said to me, he said, you're going to go back to Scotland and you're going to be back working and that and you're just going to hate it. He said, you should sign, just leave. He actually told me to leave my missus. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I was like, no, I've been with my missus when you're old, eh? So, me and Jenna's been together since we were 16, young young kids, eh? So, it was a case of just uh, up, to get your stuff and go. So, we sort of, we're all glad. We're all happy now and it's something we're looking, we're looking we can look back on and just think that we've done it. Do you know what I mean? It was... You couldn't knock it back. It's tough. O- over here in Vancouver, we had Kenny Miller here uh, with the White Cats for a couple of years. Yeah. And he loved it here. But he never settled. She missed her friends. It's a whole different lifestyle. So he ended up leaving, and basically it was because of his wife. And it's tough. Like to, As a footballer, you just go and play wherever, and you just take your boots with you and go and play. But for family to move about so much, it is difficult. I think because she she's used to working every day, and she, my, my wife she's a beauty therapist, so she's she's always dealing with clients, talking to clients. Whereas when she was over in motor, she had no one to talk to her. It was just me and her when I was there, or no one. And it was just looking back, and I sort of have regrets for that, for the fact that she's had to actually put up with that. So I admire her for doing that. So, but she we always have we talks about it now and again, just like remember this, remember that. And, it's some place we're actually going to go back to because I've got a lot of obviously friends over there and I've got on really well with the Hibernian supporters over there. I've done well over there. I've actually done really well over there. Uh, and as I say, it was, at, some, at some point we'll basically take the family over and go and meet everybody. I played with all the football players and that. They're all families. And that. They look after you, the Maltese. It's a really nice country. Do we Brian play, uh, did Brian Fairburn play with you over there? Aye, Brian. Uh, basically, Brian was in the championship with Cowan B, I think it was. And he wasn't uh-huh. getting a game. He was really suffering. So he found out, obviously, I was over in Malta. And I was trying to get Bobby Lynn, actually, to come over. And uh, the manager was like, look, do you know, basically, when we first went over there, I think we played the first, the whole pre-season, we were frightening. We never got beat. I was scoring goals for fun. And I think the the board at the club and the manager said that they felt my performances had dipped a wee bit since my wife had came over. I'm dealing with problems Uh, away from the football. But I didn't feel it. It was just the case of, I don't know what it was, I think it was just the Maltese mentality. Seemingly we had a, we had a what do you call it, a crisis meeting six, seven weeks in from the manager, the, the foreign boys, because it was Richie Hart over there, and uh, we had another big boy called Matthew Clark who played for Wolves in Bradford City. And basically we were doing it at the pool one day in the morning, and the manager's like, we need to have a meeting. And we're like, a meeting? It's only like six, seven weeks into the season, what's going on here? But we'd lost... I think with two games and we drew two games and he said, if we don't win on Saturday, we're knackered then. I was like, Gaff, it's only early in the season eh? but he just, he said it's a Maltese mentality. Once they get in a rut, you just never get out of it. Now, Hibernians have been in that league, the Premier League for, I think it was about 50 odd years. Never been relegated and we were that close to getting relegation. I think we, we survived about five games before the season had finished. So that just shows you that he was right what he was saying. He knew everything was going yeah. to happen eh? And teams started sniffing out what I was doing because they knew I had pace. But I had to adapt to all that sort of side of the football and that and all because back here in Scotland, when somebody gets the ball for the back, it's a kick way up the park and you're running in behind the fences. Over there, it was past the, uh, the right back, right back in the middle, back out to the right back. And it was just a case, it's a case of like, keep the ball. And I was, I was getting frustrated. I was running and shouting at everybody. I was like, give me the ball. But they would never give me the ball. And then there was one player, we Andrew Cohen, who, by the way, Wayne Rooney, Malta, He's unbelievable. 
should have actually, I don't know how he's not been abroad anywhere else. Really good feet, good goal scorer. He uh, he was the only one, he was like a Bobby Lynn to me. So he was the only one that would basically find it. When it got come to him, find the pass. I was just running behind, he knew what to do. He'd never experienced a striker like me before because everybody always wanted him to feet. Whereas he just knew to put it in, the behind, in behind and I'd get the goals. And that sort of dried up a wee bit when the performances started dripping for a whole team. Everything, it was like the one that gained the bottom, Andrew Connor a lot, and then teams started to sniff that I was quick getting them behind, so they started putting one def- defender behind me and a defender behind him. So if anything went behind, there was somebody covering, covering the ball all the time. Eh? So, but I, Frankie came over, that's what the question was. Frank came over, I got him over, and he was over for, I think he got the last eight games, nine games of the season, and uh, his first game, he got sent off. And he just, I told him about there's a there's a word they use, they say Austria Madonna and Maltese. I don't know what it's something about like Jesus God or something like that. And the referee booked him and he went Austria Madonna to the ref and the ref just sent him off. So he was going off in his first game and I'm sitting going, Ah, what have you done? Can I, because I've obviously told her to get the magic sign him because he's a he was great with me at Ray Flowers, Frankie. He would always cross the ball and I'd always finish him off, but he'd uh, obviously didn't start didn't really start off well when he was when he was over in Malta, but it soon settled in. The main thing is the manager got him over to obviously stay in the league. So that's we basically stayed in the league and the rest is history. One of the questions I wanted to ask you, Paul, was what was the best goal you think you've scored? Now, my favourite Paul McManus goal is, and every time I get asked what my favourite goal at East Fife is, it's always this one. Um, I want to think it was midweek against Queen's Park in the Scottish Cup. Um, and I'm not going to say you used your hand to lift the ball up, but... You def- it definitely got bounced in the end. I think you've cracked it from like 40 yards right in the top corner. I don't know if you remember that one. Ah, that was probably like growing up before obviously all the, the meaningful goals. That was probably my best goal ever I'd ever scored. I think it was John Gemmel actually. It was the middle of the park from the, the semicircle and he went in for a tackle and he came right through with the boot right up and he caught me and I grabbed the ball and the referee just went like that, play on. So I dropped the ball and out of frustration of what had happened, I just smashed the ball as hard as I could. Lying <laughs> at the top corner there, I couldn't believe it. I, I think it went off the bar then, didn't it? Yeah, it was an absolute screamer, like. Absolute probably, screamer. I, I a lot of East Fife fans would probably say that was probably the best one, but my best one was, uh, I would say, it was the, the one at the East Orleans football pitch, the, yeah. the ship went in day. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, obviously that's maybe for for different reasons, but that 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 goal against Queens Park it was an absolute screamer. I was in the Young Fifers at that point. Uh, I think and, I got remember. second. The who was it? I think it was uh, Jerry Britton had scored against Dundee. It got yeah. the goal round, and then it went to obviously the end with all the goals around, and I yeah. finished with Jerry Britton. Uh, Jerry Britton was a cracker too. He was an overhead kick from outside the box at the top corner. I tried to find your goal on YouTube today, but it's never been uploaded. That's the thing. That's that's the only thing I regret. Like you know, like looking back in your football career, they didn't start videoing games up until I reckon two thousand five, two thousand six, maybe yeah. later. Yeah. It was probably two thousand ten. The games all started getting videoed and that. So there's a lot of goals, obviously, that I would love to have seen on YouTube and that, but they're not there. Mm-hmm. But I'll keep them in my mind. Back in the day, I I I started taking a. Camera a couple of matches and I caught a couple of things on video over the years, but there's hardly any East Fife stuff from like the late 90s, early 2000s. And it's sad because there was some great goals and great performances. And 
I, I forget with being old, but I've got 20 years on, on Lee. I, I forget that I talk about these five players that so many fans today have never, yeah. ever seen. You just yeah. read names about them and it's like, but I'm like, but they played in the nineties, but there's just no no video footage. Aye, that's it. It's, you wish you had all that back now, right? But obviously they have got. Yeah. I think that they do now is excellent on the, the internet and that. All the teams I know, breaking do it. These five do it. I think everybody started to do it now. Starting to take effect and stuff for the supporters. Eh? Yeah, yeah I, I was talking to Lee about that on last week's show. Like, I I I never thought I I moved from Scotland in 2007, and I never thought for a minute. I could sit in my living room in Canada and be watching a live East Fife game at 7am on a, on a Saturday morning. It's just, it's bizarre. That's something that might actually come into play over the next couple of weeks. I, 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 read, I was listening to my cousin who does a please soccer on the Facebook. Have you seen that? I was listening to that. And yeah. the they were talking about the Premier League are obviously going to bring out this live streaming site where the fans can pay for that. And that means it's, the away supporters can pay for it and watch it for their homes. But it might be something that they might look at for the lower leagues too, you know, to get back playing football. Huh? You know, I kind of think it's going to be something that, that they are going to need to do because I, I don't know when the fans are, are going to get back. But, I mean, at, at least in recent years for yourself, there's been a, a big chunk of your career that has been covered on camera. Yeah. And, I mean, well, I know we're skipping past a lot of, of your later years, but I want to kind of bring you up to date with Cove Rangers, which I know you've talked about a, a couple of times already, but... To, to be part of that promotion winning team and like making history and coming from the Highland League into the football league and getting some goals as well in yeah. the in game against Berwick. I mean, where, where does that sit and rank for you and your overall achievements? It's, I'd say it's probably up there. It's probably the best thing that's happened. I said that in the past, the other podcast I've done, uh, just solely on the fact that, you know, with a Highland League team, when I first signed there, John John Sheehan phoned me. I was asked, actually after I'd retired from football from East Fife because I was working with the Royal Mail and I couldn't do both. And it was a choice. Like, do you know what? You're, I think I was 34 maybe. And I was at the stage where I'm like, do I think long term or do I think short term? And I took obviously the long term option to stay with the Royal Mail and be the football. And it was gutting to actually do that. And uh, it was a hard decision. It was an easy, easy decision. But Gary Naismith phoned me actually. It was the day after Livingston. I got sent off three times. Uh, I came. I was actually late to get to the football. And uh, I think I was. I turned up about quarter past two in the afternoon. And I've never been late for a football match my whole career. I've always been on time. I'm always there half an hour before games because you're buzzing to get playing and stuff. And I got. I got there at about quarter past two. And I was on the bench. And obviously, when I came off the bench. I was frustrated with myself and I went up for a header and the boy nearly took my neck off going up for a header pushed me in the back and I jerked it and the referee just said play on so I ended up swearing got sent off but I couldn't believe he actually set me off for it so I, was like, I said it was an effing foul and he set me off and I was like and I ended up just I ended up I think I pushed him I'm not sure <laughs> but just a heated moment that obviously I regret now but uh, and then I got, I could have got sent off. I got the third time by Jim Stevenson in the referee's office, but I ended up just going, Do you know what, mate? Book me if you want, send me off if you want. I said, I retire, I can't be asked for this anymore if you're booking me for that. So I ended up, just, obviously, <laughs> a downward spiral. And I came home at the weekend, that weekend of the wedding, and I, and I honestly got absolutely steaming at this wedding because I was so frustrated. I just, I've never been like this in my life. It was just, nothing was going right. Obviously, I came back from my ACL injury and Whether obviously East Five got me back fit, which George Good got me back fit, great credit for him. 
it was a it was a case that I wasn't playing enough as what I would like to have played because I've always you know I've always been a starter every team I've been in. But Gary, I know Gary knew obviously the injury was a serious one. He's done it himself, and he just was telling me like it's going to take time for you to get back up to speed. Whereas I was just wanting to run in there and just to play. Do you know what I mean? I think if I got played maybe six or seven weeks in a row, I probably would have kicked on a wee bit. But because I felt I was getting fitter, but I wasn't. I just it was a case of in and out of the team. But the team were obviously doing well. They were they were flying. They obviously got the championship. They won the championship the season before, and then they had a good squad. But I it was a case of I retired, and then John Sheeran had phoned me nine weeks after quitting football, and I was honestly I was. Scratching at the walls and everything, thinking, what have I done? It was the stupidest decision I'd made. And then when he's come in and said to me, Cold Rangers, I'm like, do you know what? Is it going to be worth it? Blah, blah, blah. So I got a good deal with it and I ended up going up there. I wasn't sure what to expect, to be honest with you. I thought I'd be, you know, I'd be just kick, kick the bottle apart, but it wasn't. It was totally different to what I'd, what I'd expected it to be. Personality, the, the players was different. The technique of the players was different. The really, really good technical players up there, really good, some really good players that should be playing in the low leagues, but they don't want to play in the low leagues because they're, they're getting well paid at all these clubs because there's yeah. so much up there. And I think as a case, there's a few of them just like I, I said to them when I was obviously playing there before they got promotion. And I was like, you could play this level, you could play that level. These have all got good attributes. And uh, I went up there and I really enjoyed it. It was, you know, it was two and a half years. I think it was up there. I two and a half years. And it was probably the best two and a half years of my career because I just you'd you'd win games obviously every week, which was something that you've only used to doing that in the lower leagues. You were always getting beat one week, losing the next. Yeah, sorry, winning the next. But it was it was a case of just turning up on Saturday and winning the game because they had so much good players that teams just once they scored one, they'd score five, six, seven. Fort William, we took fourteen off them one day. I scored four. It was just and they actually, you know, they actually brought the pitch in. I don't know how we got away with it, but it was like a hockey pitch. And I was like, I couldn't believe what I was turning up to. It was, I'd never played at Fort William before. And when I turned up, I was just like, what the hell? It was like a council park. Yeah. It was that, you know, the big rock. That, that. Yeah. I but, went to a game there once. It's in the middle of nowhere. Aye, that's it. And it was just, there was no fan base or nothing. It was just like a bit of strangled in this pitch. And I'm like, what the yeah. hell? I hear like, this. is terrible, huh? And I was that was it was places like that you're going to be experiencing something different, but I think I needed something different in my career at that point. I know whereas I'd been too long in the lower leagues, it was a case of you know what, just go and enjoy something, go and enjoy winning games and go and enjoy being with your teammates. The, you know the drinking on the buses on the way back was unbelievable. It's like you'd be away to wit one day, and you'd just be drinking all the way back to Aberdeen, and I would get the train or I'd stay up Aberdeen because I couldn't get back because the trains were too late. Uh, too, uh, like getting getting home again, so it's a case of just just enjoying what I had up there, and I really enjoyed it. The, the day at Berwick, we'll go doing history for me. It was it was special and all because it was a frustrating season that season for myself too, because I got injured. I started the season really well. I was in training with Fife, and I looked really fit. And uh, Dad's young actually. He was he was contemplating whether to sign me or not and all for that season because he seen that I was fitter than the rest. It was there, and. Uh, but I ended up making the decision to go back up to Cove to have one more crack at it because we lost out in the playoffs to Cowd Beef. And that season, I started, I think it was the first 10 games or something, and I was scoring every week. I actually took over wee Mitch Megginson, so <laughs> that was something. And the goal tally, I mean. So uh, I, I took maybe 10, 12 weeks or something at the season, and I was in training with his Fife, and I ended up going over my ankle. 
and I told him the cartilage right off the bone, and I couldn't believe it. I didn't think it was serious at the time. I thought it was just like a twisted ankle. And it turned out I took the cartilage right off the bone, so I was out for, I got told I'd need to be out for 12, 13 weeks to let rest. And it was just, wasn't I think I was out for 14 weeks all in, and it wasn't resting. And then obviously you're starting to put weight on because you're not being able to do the training side of things and stuff like that. Uh, so I ended up taking an injection in my foot, and with the injection, I was back running, no baller, and I think it took me about three, four weeks. John tried to get me back in the team again before the end of the season, and I just couldn't get up to the speed that all the baller boys were at. So I was coming off the bench now and again and grabbing me goals here and there. But I scored obviously that was the last last high league player to score the goal, the last goal in the seven 0 the three 0 drubbing at Berwick's pitch. Yeah, I mean, you talked about some of your East five goals and some of your best goals. I mean, if you look back at all, you've scored everywhere that you've been. If you look back at all those goals, what one really stands out for you that you think was your best ever? And I said, the one at East Stirling, the second one, because it was a special occasion, but there was another one where we, we played our broth at Bayview, and we were, I think we were beat 1-0. We were, we were getting beat 1-0 to a Paul Lunin goal, and uh, we ended up getting a penalty, and I scored the penalty, and then right in the back of it, I think it was, I think it was only 10, 10 minutes to go or something, and Bobby Lynn fed me down in the left-hand side, and I cut right along the box. I think I took on three or four players, and then just smashed it in the corner. It took a wee tiny wee deflection, but because we were obviously getting the championship trophy that day, it felt like you know you wanted to go out in a high. You know, it was, you wanted that winning mentality to keep continuing to the end of the season, and I was I would say that was probably that, that's always one that springs to mind. It was really important. I think it was because it was important too, do you know what I mean? Aye. I mean, with Cove as well, for me, in the last couple of years, the best thing that's happened at Scottish football is the pyramid system and yeah. giving these ambitious teams a chance to, to come into the football league. And like from watching from afar, it makes it a bit more exciting because like in the 80s, East Fife were down the bottom of the, the second division for years and you just had a shit season and mm. there was no repercussions from it. Now, as you know, we've been with Brecon, you're, yeah. you're down the bottom and you could go out the football league altogether. And once you go out, it's maybe harder then to, to get back into it. Yeah. There's all this talk just now about league reconstruction. I mean, you've come up from the lower leagues. You are with a team that might have gone down to the lower leagues. How, how would you like to see Scottish football looking after this? Yeah, just exactly what's happened with Cove. You know what I mean? It's, when I first, as I said, when I first signed up there, John Sheeran's ambition was to get into the lower leagues. And I think that's, that should be there for all the clubs to progress from the amateur to junior to junior to the low end, just it should, it should be there, it should be put in place because I think that I think what's worrying obviously for all these clubs that sit in the bottom, bottom uh, the bottom of the league in the lower divisions is the fact that all these teams that's coming up are paying out big money to get into these leagues, and if they do come to a decision, obviously whether obviously for instance breaking, there's no guarantees that we would have stayed up, and there's no guarantees we would have went down. Nobody will ever know. Obviously, with the COVID, yeah. but these teams that are coming up, they're a fancy sell to beat Breakin, who's no, obviously no one again. But and I look at it that in another way that Town Beef is the exact same when we, we got beaten in the playoffs. We won it every game the whole season. Come to the playoffs, we just let ourselves go. A discipline go. I got sent off. A few other boys got sent off. But you let your discipline go. The football goes at the window. All the football, you pretty football you play through a season. It comes at the last, obviously the last game of the season, and it's a case of. 
it's going to be a battle when you need the boys up for the battle and obviously a wee bit of class at the end of it and all and that's the reason why County Beef end up staying up because we lost the plot but I do feel it's, it's something that sh- it should be in place it shouldn't be obviously I think they're talking now like letting two teams in and then just shutting the doors on it I don't think that's right I think you should just keep it continuing it but for me personally I think the season should have been null and void there and that, and that goes me. That's me going against my old club, Cove, who have done tremendous this season. They've all been like far ahead. But you look at Falkirk and Wraith. You look yeah. at that. Who can they make a decision on that when Falkirk's got a bit of no difference? If I was a Falkirk yeah. player, region, you know, I mean, it's no right. And if I was even the winner of the the championship, I don't think my medal justifies actually getting given it. Do you know what I mean? It's the case saying it just been handed it. That's me personally. I'm not saying nothing against all the other clubs that's obviously been made champions in that, but I just think it should have been null and void. That would have been the easiest way out of it. I think that's a good point, Paul, obviously, about the the null and void thing. And and we we touched on it a bit last week in in last week's show. You were never going to make anybody happy with any outcome of that. There was never going to be a, a resolution that was going to make everybody happy. But as a player, do you not find that monotonous playing against the same teams all the time? Like I was saying last week, like East Fife, we seem to play for far all the time. We got them in the cups, we get them in the league. Do you not think that maybe with our reconstruction, maybe more Highland League, Lowland League teams coming up and getting that bit of variety and playing teams, do you not think it would make Scottish football that wee bit more interesting? Definitely. I mean, I think last season we played Elgin because we obviously the cup started pre-season, we won that cup with Elgin and we played. I think we played Elgin about six or seven times over the season. That's not. Yeah. That's not. It. Ideally, you would like to just be playing team at home and away, and that's it. Yeah. So, right. I. I think that's the way forward. I think bringing all these teams because there's some good teams in the Lowland League. You'd probably say there's probably three or four teams in the Lowland League that can step up, and then you've got maybe yeah. five or six, maybe seven teams in the Highland League who could step up easily and all. So, but it's definitely. It's something that should be thought about, uh, but you don't want to be. I don't know. I think you don't want to be one of the Scottish teams fighting a relegation battle when all these teams are coming up because of the money that's getting spent at all these clubs. Exactly. I mean, you, you only have to look around at the, the money being spent at some of the low and league clubs. Um, you know, I, I spoke last week in my disdain for Kelty Hearts, but you know, you only have to look at the amount of money that's been spent there. Cumbernauld, BSC, who put us out the, the the cup. I mean, even in the juniors, uh, with um, Glasgow way with Darville. I mean, I know that they they took um, Daryl Meggett from us, and and he was on a, a good packet there. So, um, it's. I think that obviously a lot of people voted for um, in the, the league two voted against the uh, league, league reconstruction, probably out of self interest. But as a football fan, you would like to see a bit of change. Yeah, definitely. You you'll know yourself, Lee, when Brora came and played East Fife in the Scottish Hours. Yeah. I mean, East Fife, don't get me wrong, had many a chances to win that game, but yeah. the Brora, basically, they, they won it. There was Strin, uh, who was it? They beat Strinra, away down at Strinra too. There was Martin got through. Cove Rangers beat Airdrie. So all these teams are good enough. Yeah. No, you can't say they're not good enough to play it because they're playing the Highland League. I think a lot of the Highland League and the Lowland League get disrespected a wee bit because yeah. I think a lot of fans will think, oh, the quality is not good. There is some good players there. There's guys that's played at senior level, drop them down to that level and all. Paul, obviously, for the yeah. money. But there is some good players. I think it will make it more entertaining. Nah, I couldn't agree more, mate. Couldn't agree more. So, 
we're going to go on to ask you a couple of questions now, Paul, um, that have come from social media. First of all, we'll give a shout out to Scott Young. He's asked a couple of the questions that we're going to ask anyway, but Luke Aitken's asked me about your favourite moment from your time at East Fife. Uh, probably winning the league, and I think even just winning the league with Gary Naismith, and I've got to strip up in the corner there. I think I'm actually I'm only, the only East Fife player that's ever won two championships, supposing I've heard. That would be a, that'd be a question for Stephen Mill. I'm not much a stato. No, I think you you probably would have been because we haven't won many league titles over the years. We had 47, yeah. 48, and then there was nothing there until 2007, 8, and yeah. I think you were probably the only player then to win it the a couple of years later as well. Yeah. If See, that but, doesn't deserve a statue outside Bayview, Paul McManus, I don't know what does. <laughs> That's something obviously it makes me proud obviously that I've got that and there's another there's another proud uh, thing where uh, the record goal scorer in the, the last decade, you know, the last twenty years I've scored uh, yeah. I don't know how I've, how many I've scored for these five, but I was a number one, I seen that on the internet, so I hold that in high regard too. Awesome mate. John Scott Neal asked us, um camaraderie is such an important part in any team. Uh, what brings a squad together after a difficult match or a defeat? I think pers- it's a personal thing. It's not like a squad thing. It's I think you've got to go home, get beat, you've got to go home, look at yourself in the mirror and say, right, did I do well today or did I do good? I mean, the old saying goes, my, my old man always says that to me, is, you're only as good as your last game. So you go and try and make amends for the game you've had before and just hope that you win the next one and just try even harder. I think that's what's wrong and all with some young boys nowadays they just everything's I'm not saying obviously I've experienced that a lot in my, my own career but when I get beat I'm I'm the, t- the horriblest guy ever I go home and I'm just sitting there I won't speak or nothing like that and it's, it's been the, it's, it's probably been the case where I've had the kids the two kids it's, I've eased off a wee bit that way because obviously life's too short it's just a game of football but I think a lot of them nowadays just they just don't care it's, just, it's like a game of football and that's it and I get paid for it yeah. everything's yeah. Football, I think the whole the whole side of it. There's there's no nasty guys in dressing rooms or that anymore. It's all cuddles and stuff like that with the boys and stuff like that. You've got to be like that. It's the way it's changing. I, I suppose that we've got to change because that's the way it is. But I I would say it should hurt more. But you should be able to go home and look at yourself in the mirror and say, did you play? Did you play well today? Did I do enough teammates? Uh, Dave Muir, not to be mistaken, where Dave <laughs> um, has asked you, where does your nickname come from? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be uh, listen it's been there since I was 18 year old it's not what everybody thinks it is when any young kids actually at East Fife actually come up and say why do you call Shagger I always say it's no Shagger son it's Scooby Shaggy for Scooby Doo they all believe it but no, listen, it's been there since I was 18 year old and it's no for anything other than I'll say I can, I'm well hung <laughs> <laughs> no, that's definitely going in, Paul. Definitely going in. Um, so cheers to Dave Muir for asking that. <laughs> when, we any, when we do any teammate questions and we ask who's the longest in the shower, then it's obviously going to be you. Well, I don't know. There's been a few I've been in. This big boy, Eric <laughs> honestly. This boy can wrap that in his arm, man. <laughs> I ask that question to folk over here and they don't get it. So they just think I'm asking who's the longest taking a shower. Uh, maybe going English or a big broad accent, Scottish accent. 
Well, so cheers for that, Paul. Um, Ian Lato, um, my boy that I know that's a Rovers fan, um, he's asked me to ask you, what about your infamous transfer from Rafe to East Fife? The one where the Rafe, uh, Rafe announced it on the website then had to delete it because you had a change of heart. What happened there? I mean, apparently it was a change in heart, but what happened was I agreed the deal and it was a really good deal. And I, don't get me wrong, I was enjoying my football under John McGlynn. John McGlynn was excellent with me. Uh, myself and Ian Davidson had written and signed the same sort of deal. Uh, we were quite happy coming out because it was a, an increased offer on what we had the season before. And uh, I think it was about a week or something after I'd signed it, I was going on a holiday to Mexico and I got a phone call from the, the office saying, basically, you need to come down and re-sign the contract again. And I was like, what for? There's been a wee, wee things. And that was two, th- two or three things that I wasn't happy about, but they were wanting me to change. So I wasn't changing it. And I Contract signed, so send it on. So I phoned the SFA and I uh, spoke to the SFA, uh, please, I wish it. And I asked if my contract had been in, and I said, They've got nothing here for me. So I said, Well, I signed it like, a week ago, and it was supposedly getting sent away the following week. So nothing got, nothing got said about it. And then I went down to watch East Fife in the playoffs, remember, against Queen's Park? Yeah. Little did I know that obviously during the season that. East Fife were obviously making bids for me to try and get my way through the Rovers anyway. I think Willie's plan was obviously for what happened with Willie uh, Rafe Rovers. I think he was like trying to get back at Rafe a wee bit to try and yeah. snap the pri- prize product sort of yeah. thing. And uh, I never knew nothing about it, so I was sort of angry with that and all at that point and all because I wanted to know because I heard that obviously East Fife were obviously bringing all these big players in, so there must have been obviously good dough going about. And I know that sounds bad, it's all about money, it's not about money, it's obviously getting the right door looking after yourself and then obviously the football takes care of itself and all. And then as I went down to watch his fife, Willie Grade said, I've been trying to get you, you wee shite, blah, 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 for <laughs> last year and a half or something. I was like, you've not been trying to get me. He's like, nah, I said, well, you can get me now if you want. He's like, how? I said, because my contract's in bad, I need to go back and re-sign it again. And I'm not happy with some of the things that they want me to do. So he just basically said to me, look, come down and see me on Monday, don't to scrap yard. And I went down and met him with my dad. Splashed out a deal and I was, I phoned the SFA before. I said, look, am I still a free agent? And they were like, aye. So I was like, Casey, like, mate, do you know what? I'm going to go and sign back at East Fife. And do you know what? It was a big gamble because I've obviously left full-time football to go back to play part-time football. But it was a gamble. I knew that in my ability that I would go back and score goals. I was injured that season that they thought was no, I didn't I torn a medial ligament. So I played half the season or something with a torn ligament and the other half I missed. So I'd still finished a top goal scorer, but they were all go- I know they were all going metal, but they can see what they want with throwers fans. I'd done well for throwers. I knew I'd done well when I was there. I was a player of the year and everything the season before, but I get some dogs abuse for it. But what little did they know that you've got a, obviously you've got a career and you've got a family, a mortgage and everything and that's what comes first. So the case of just making the right decision for my, me and my family, that was it. And Paul, you need to be honest with yourself. Rafe Rovers fans aren't entitled to an opinion, so it doesn't matter what they say. Uh, uh, oh, joking aside, I know that I've, a few Rafe Rovers fans listened to the podcast last week, so we'll, love, we'll not try and insult them too much. I really loved my time at Rafe. There was a, obviously the, the situation I had in Perth and that with the carry on off the park and that. Obviously, I kept my football. I kept just kept my head down and just kept playing away with the football tour. That was sorted, and the fans were great with me there. And so was the board. And John McGunn, as I say, was a, an excellent coach. I was sort of gutted in that way that I was leaving full time yeah. football, training every day with John McGunn and all the players and my pals and stuff like that to go and play part time. But 
as I say, it was a, a decision that wasn't made lightly. It was a decision that I had to make for, for my family and for myself. And I, I don't have any regrets for doing that, do you know what I mean? Even if I still get hit with a pie or whatever during the game. <laughs> Did you get hit with a pie? I they hit me with a pie when I was uh, doing it at Starts Park. When we played them, I think we I think we drew that that day. Kevin Foreigner scored a, an equal was it an equaliser, I'm sure it was one each or something, or two one. They missed about three penalties, remember? Gareth Wardlow got off his broken arm. That's right. Aye aye. I got hit with a pie going down the, the tunnel and I got spat on taste. <laughs> but do you know what? These things that's, are, that's bad. Did you get it, oh, yeah. Ah, the classic Arcade boys, eh? Yeah, right, Paul, here's 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 the question that I've been most looking forward to asking you. I want the best 11 players that you played with at the Fife, the best 11 players you played with at all clubs, and then the best 11 you've played against. This was the one that I really wanted you to prepare for. We'll start off with the best 11 players that you played with at East Fife. That's tough. You're asking me to produce 33 players here. <laughs> I'll tell you what, right? We'll, we'll, we'll narrow it down then, right? We'll go for your best 11 across all clubs then. That's fair. And then I want to know your best 11 you've played against because I know that you've played against some good players. Uh, right. I'll pause. Uh, it's either between Willie McCulloch, Scott Fox and Craig Wright. And I'm going to go with Scotty Fox because of the career he's had. He came alone from Celtic to East yeah. Absolutely amazing when he was there. Right back... I've got to put this boy in. He was a tremendous captain in that. I know what he's five. Greg McDonald. Yeah. Ten and a half. I need to put big Jay Smart in. Just because he's stinky fingers. New <laughs> <laughs> uh, nickname for him. Jason Kerr. Jason Kerr and all. He's another good prospect. And even at East Five at that time, we all knew that. I remember saying to Gary Naismith, I said, he's going to be an internationalist. And he agreed there. And... Be fair, he's doing really well. Left back, I'd have to put Doogie Cameron. Right. Is a right mid. It's difficult because there's not been that many gifted right wingers apart from Bobby, but I'd put Bobby up front, but I'm not putting Bobby in the new. So Scott Mercer, right right mid. Wow. Yeah. Mercer's uh, he's got an engine in him. Up and doing that park. Middle of the park, I'm gonna go for E E Devmuir. Just because of the fact that he can play a number of positions and he never ever moaned once. So, Div's obviously in my team. Remember we, Paul Stewart, remember him? Yeah, yeah. But it's a toss-up between Paul Stewart and Kevin Foreigner. I'm going to go Bibby, just because even at his age at that point, he was still getting about the part and he could spread the ball brilliant. He was a good football player. Me and Bibby actually hated each other when we played against each other. Honestly, he used to... Yeah. He used to say the worst things to me ever, and I used to say the worst things back. But uh, it wasn't until we ended up going to Rafe Rovers together. Rafe Rovers said they've signed the uh, foreigner, and I was like, "But Martin foreigner?" And they're like, "No, Kevin foreigner." I was like, oh, "For fuck's sake!" <laughs> <laughs> it was just, it just knew you had, had to off. We just started laughing. Well, I think we're on a, a team bus going somewhere, and we're talking about it. Because honestly, I'm talking like he used to boot me over the other shot, put me at the park. My dad was what to kill him, eh? Just my dad <laughs> shoot back to him, he shoot back to my dad, and, that, and I kept my dad was going to get him after the game, and that. honestly, it was just good banter. But Bibby's actually been turned out to be one of my one of my good mates in football, so I'm putting Bibby in there too. My my, my memory of Fozzie was obviously when we won the league at East Stirling, we were all like, uh, you were all getting your t-shirts on, and he wouldn't take his off because he's got a Rovers tattoo. Is that right? I don't know. I don't know who had a Rovers tattoo in that. 
That was, that was the, the rumour that he didn't want to take his, his top off because apparently he's got a Rafe Rovers tattoo. It would have been his belly he's not to get off for. <laughs> big, 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 big belly, baby, then. Uh, Paul Walker, I would put it left mid. He was a great wee pair of PV. Yeah. Up front, I'm going Chris Templeman. Yeah. And Bobby Lynn. It's funny, I was actually talking about Chris Templeman today and saying that literally if he'd been quicker, he, he could have played anywhere. And I do believe that. It's unbelievable. To everybody, Chris Templeman, the best feet. He'd never get the ball off Big Templeman because he's size and he's just a big, lanky, lanky guy. But he was uh, a terrific goal scorer. And if he had the pace, he'd definitely have played in the Premiership. Probably could have been went in England. Yeah, again, I probably wouldn't disagree with that either. Um, some of the goals I've seen him score over his career, he's scored some absolute screamers. Um, but like I said, the only thing that was letting down his pace, and look, we've, we've talked enough about Bobby Lynn today, we didn't want to give that guy a bigger ego than he's already got. So um, what we'll do, Paul, is we'll move on to your best 11 you've played against. Uh, like Andy Gorham. Yeah. He, he was at Elgin at the time. And I remember... I think I was at Albion Rovers. Albion Rovers. I went through two or three times, and every time I went through, he would just put his elbow up and his leg up when the ball came up to bounce. Then at one time, went up. the third time I went through, I went through, and he did it, and I lobbed the ball at him and put the ball in the pokey, and I just went, there you go, you big fat man. <laughs> and he laughing, he's like, yeah, we shite, I'll see you after the game. I didn't even know him, do you know what I mean? He was just that type of character, really nice guy. Stephen Whitaker, I'd go right back. That's a, a good-looking team so far. Oh, I know. Uh, Carlos Cuella, he was the most difficult opponent I've ever played against. So quick, could read the game brilliant. He strolled it that night at uh, yeah. East End. He strolled it and Big Echo gave me about 20 bruises. Well, my heat. <laughs> and that's no word to a lie. I woke up in the morning. That's who I'm putting in next to him, by the way. Hugo Echo. I think, I don't know what it was, but I think the first... 20-30 minutes, every high ball, I was beating him in the air. And I was flicking things onto the corner and everything. And they must have got told, the next one you go up for, put your elbow on him. And I swear to God, they put his elbow right on me. And one time he actually missed the ball and stuck the heat right in the back of my head. And I woke up on and I swear to God, my head, a sore head, and I had lumps of left, right and centre. I was everywhere. But I think he's passed away, didn't he? No, 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 no. Yeah. Uh, there's another one, Jason Vandalore, you don't know him, but he's played the motor. He's actually played for Club Bruges growing up. He was at Bruges in Turkey. Really good player. My first game against him, I actually scored four. <laughs> so then the next time I came against him, I thought, do you know what? I'll probably get two or three here. And it just it wasn't happening. He, just, he, read, he knew my game, man. He just knew what to do. He was really difficult. I used to hate playing against him, actually. He was rough. So right mid, Chris Burke. Yeah. It's a very Rangers team so far. I'm only going on that night we played at East End Park. Remember that? Aye. I watched that in my living room here. It was weird. <laughs> Did you? Aye. Aye. It was on live Canadian TV. We got a gubbin that night too. Ah, big time. I told everyone to watch it and then I was like, ah, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> that was, uh, see, we'd won that game. We were all getting thrown out to the Maldives with Willie Gray. I swear to oh. Guaranteed, uh, he said it was all in the paper actually. It had the papers, yeah. He, he promised that in the paper that he would send all the boys to the Maldives uh, for a holiday. And he was honestly, the year we won the league, he actually took all the boys to Magaluf 
and uh, I never went because I had a holiday already booked for that time went to Mexico and supposedly gave the boys all £500 spending money and then not, not one bought a drink they just he just kept buying drink everywhere he went for all the boys there he just someone went for the money it was just unreal Billy yeah. but uh, away from Billy anyway the next one Robert Snodgrass when he was wow. at Stirling Albion do you remember when he was at Stirling Albion I was at Rafe at the time yeah. he was an R player you could see it was going to go right to the top yeah great player Thomas Buffal this will be nothing compared to Gary Naismith <laughs> hey, look! By the way, when you're looking at this team, it isn't it a bad one. No, it's not a bad one. Another legend, Davy Bingham, left mid. Bingham, will I? Very good. Yeah, banged him in for Gretna, didn't he? Him and Kenny. So two to go, Paul. Uh, strikers, there are two strikers. Put Mitch Meganson in there. He's got a bright future. It's a big shout. He's a good player, very good player, so sharp. We'll put in a word and we could sign him. <laughs> You're not a flog. <laughs> he actually works with the, the chairman and the, at his office and he's obviously got a good pay with his football, so he's doing well. He's doing the right thing, I know. A lot of players don't realise that, you look at the players now, the full-time players, they don't know if they're going to be on furlough or they've got a contract to, to, to obviously provide. Yeah. So a lot of them are looking to go part-time now, so I think yeah. part forward I've always said that to any young boy that go part time get yourself a good deal if you're good enough you'll get the money and you get yourself a good job the other striker I'm going to go for is Daniel Bagdonovich Bagdonovich he played for Sheffield United Maltese played against him when I was in Malta he was played over by Sheffield United so didn't he ask me anymore <laughs> no that's fine that's fine no perfect Paul like talking about part-time and full-time footballers, obviously you've had stints doing both. How difficult is it to juggle doing a day job and then going to have to go and do training and then going to play midweek games and then weekend games? It's funny you say that. I was thinking that myself this week. I was driving a bit in the van from doing my work. Uh, basically, the transition, I remember I went from part-time to full-time. It takes about three or four months for your body to get used to work obviously the, the impact of the training and stuff like that and then it's the same the other way going from full time to part time it's the exact same thing it takes about three or four months to actually get your body to recoup sort of to get producing what it should be producing but uh, it's it's difficult I know that breaking last season uh, I was we were in the training until quarter past eight at night away at Falkirk so you're coming in for your work it's no bad in the summer but when, when it's like obviously coming in for your work in the winter you're just, all you want to do is as soon as you put your sit down on the couch you don't want to get back up because you've had a long day but uh, we were, I was not getting in until maybe quarter to eleven at night for training so I mean and especially at my age I know, I know I'm a young pup but especially at my age it's uh, I mean you, you need to recover and you need time to rest and stuff like that so as I say the, the following period is actually I was sort of glad there was no training, there was no games. It's given a wee break away from it because you're getting beat every weekend on. It wasn't enjoyable. Especially when you've been used to winning games at Co-Rangers and stuff like that. It's, it's going to be something that you obviously mm. wished for when you start the season. But uh, I would say that, you know, the, the training side there, I think if you can get something maybe closer to home or something like that, that would, that would improve, obviously, enjoying your football a bit more. So a lot of players, a lot of fans don't, don't appreciate that. They think you just turn up for training anyway. But 
you're coming for your luck. Luckily, I've got a good yeah. job. Rob Asanari's Fife Legend, Big Ross Graham. So I've got my, I get the van, I just drive around all the farmers and stuff like that, looking after the pests and stuff. So that's kind of a good job. I wouldn't like to be in factories. And that. I worked at Diageo and, that, and I know how hard it is to work in there. Uh, you're standing on your feet all day in one line, just nobody not really moving and stuff like that. Well, the people are talking about you, but it's, uh, I wouldn't like to be going back doing that and then going to your training at quarter past eight at night. So uh, it's something that's it's quite hard. It's difficult. I, you've mentioned that you don't really have any any regrets from a lot of stuff, but is there any part of your career, if you could turn back time, that you'd like to to have again or a different decision that you would make? Uh, I didn't even use it like bringing it up, but it was a carry-on in Perth. I've never ever, I never ever speak about it, and it's because it always does my head in because I feel that like I got made the scapegoat that night. And what happened was, I won't go into detail, obviously, whatever happened, but I'd finished the game of football for Ace Rovers and went up to a party in Perth, uh, Ace Factory Nightclub, and my, one of my best friends, he was actually caught in a fight inside the club, came out, and there was about 50 boys all standing outside waiting on him coming out. So there was only four, four of us. And I'm trying to stop it all, and the next thing you just get a punch in the face, and it's just a free for all. So obviously things got done, things happened, and obviously I got the jail and that for it. But it's not something I'm proud of, and it's something I look back on. I'm, I was really angry at the fact that the papers made me out the bad one when I was a victim. I felt like I, I know that obviously there was a lot of things said in the papers, but a lot of it was all bullshit. It was just it was terrible. So a case when I look back on that because I know that. Livingston, when I was at Rafe at the time, because I was doing so well, they were wanting to put a bid in. John Robertson was wanting to basically try and sign me to try and get me to Livingston because we played them, I think it was in a cup game, and I'd done really well. And it's sort of like that Peter did to nothing. It was because it all hit the front page of the paper. And uh, it was quite embarrassing, actually. I went up to play St. Johnston. That's a wee story, actually. I went up to play St. Johnston, and uh, in the Scottish Cup, the draw got made out, and I went up to Sean Dennis after training one day, and I was like, Fedji, I can't play in that game. He knew everything about it, but no one else did outside the football scene. So he knew about it, and he said, you'll be fine, it's happened to me loads of times. Big Sean's obviously a brawler, he's always in. <laughs> yeah. So I remember the night going up to the game, and I just had this worrying feeling that I was going to get lifted because I got told I wasn't able to go into the city of Perth until your court case had finished. But no one even knew me, basically... Apart from what happened after the night at the football match, basically I turned up to the game and I could see some of the police officers that arrested me that night. I was just trying to get my heat down and that walk into the dressing room and that Gordon Dale he knew about it and all. He was laughing actually. Just they made a fun and laugh at it. He said you'll be fine. You're playing your football. And then the first ten minutes of the game, I scored and uh, it came over the tannoy goal scorer for the Rovers, Paul McManus. So then I think obviously alarm bells went and I'm like, that, that's that guy we lifted about three, four months ago. I don't know what happened. So I was sitting in the showers after the game. In fact, something happened at half time and the gaffer went out and came back in but never said nothing to me. We ended up getting beat 5-1 or something. So we came in after the game and I'm in the showers with Scott Crabb uh, and we Derek Ferguson, Barry Ferguson's brother. And I'm sitting there washing away and the door goes and you can hear the gaffer's talking to the police and he's like, Derek Ferguson popped his head through and went, oh no, the policy's here. And I was like, what for? He's like, oh, for fuck. I was like, what is that? And he went, I stole a pie at half time. 
Oh, I thought you had time. He's like, aye, I said, I asked the woman for a bottle. She turned her back and I just pulled one out of the back because he was, he, was, he was watching the game at half time. He was the <laughs> So, obviously, they're all sitting laughing. And I'm sitting there going like that in my head because the players didn't know anything that was going on. And I'm like, nah, they're not there for him. They're for me. So, they end up, they showed uh, Paul McManus here. It was embarrassing. I ended up having to get my tracksuit on. Going out, my dad was going absolutely mental outside saying, you can't actually lift him for playing a football match. He said, he's no doing anything. I shouldn't have been a city pair. But it turns out, it basically got thrown out of the court. They actually laughed it off. The, the, the court had laughed it off saying it was, it was embarrassing they actually lifting me. But that's how it all basically came out in the paper because people knew who I was. And then it obviously led to other things. But it's probably, it was probably the most frustrating time in my whole, my whole career, my whole life, to be fair. Because you just didn't yeah, know what, yeah. what made it a really bad person. And that's no, that's no me anybody knows, knows me well. Means that I'm nothing like that. I mean, I've we weren't even going to bring that up, but it's, I'd really appreciate you being so honest about it. I don't mind, but yeah. it's better to get it out. Yeah, I, I guess, because I guess some folk would be watching it going, have they never asked him about that? But, I mean, you're 37 now. You, you were breaking the season that's just finished. How, how many more legs or how many seasons do you have in those legs? Can you go more? Do you think you'll hang it up? Depends if I've got spider's legs. Uh, <laughs> you know, I've, when I signed with Breaking last season, uh, I got myself really fit, and I know that I've continued to obviously keep my my, my training at, at a low pace now and stuff like that. But I will once we know what's happening, my fitness levels will go back up because I'll, I'll just get out and do the hard stuff again. But you just did, you never know when the, uh, the football is going to come around again. So I think once we know what's happening with the season, then it'll be a case of right, what do I do? Am I going to go back or I'm not? But at the moment in time, I want to go back. Um, I feel like I'm, I can still do it. I thought I had a good season, even though I was playing in the, the team at the bottom of the league. I still contributed really well to the team. I was top goal scorer. And uh, I think if I'd obviously, somebody could set me up a lot of uh, chances and that I was putting my way. I was putting my way every time I was getting the chances. So you just never know. I don't know where I'll be. Possibly with breaking or maybe with somebody else. I'm not sure, but... I still want to keep playing, and I feel I've still got another one or two years left of me anyway. I could even, I maybe play longer than that. Anybody, any of the boys that breaking, I'll tell you, I'm one of the fittest in the team. So, but I'm only the fittest because I look after myself. You've got to look after yourself when you get to the age I'm at. You look, inspiration, Kenny Miller played till he's 39. Okay. That's, so, if I could do as half as good as him, then that'd be, that'd be brilliant. Well, absolute pleasure having you on the show, Paul. Glad you were, were our first guest. Uh, really appreciate you doing this. Anything else you want to say, Lee, just to wrap up? No, just I was going to bring up at some point a memory that I had um, of Paul, and it's one of my first memories. Now, you'll probably remember me from your, your very first stint at Bayview when I was thin and had a bowl cut, but <laughs> you used to come into the... I think we played Livingston in the cup, when Jim McLeish was the man, um, Jim Leishman. Jim Leishman was the manager there, and I still, I think it's at my parents. My young Fifers hat. I got Paul McManus signature on the top of that. I must have been. So, what age was I then? About seventeen or something? Eighteen. Aye, probably there or thereabouts. So, piece? no, it was Scottish Cup. Scottish Cup. Is that the one? Scottish Cup. Is that one scored in that one. Aye, that's it. That's Aye. the one. Yeah, the drums playing and all that, didn't they? It was a good atmosphere. Yeah. Aye. Yeah, I, I want to say it was like it was a midweek game at night, if I remember right. But I remember you coming out the the dressing room after the game, signing my hat, and there you go. It was 
probably a toss up between yourself and Barry Moffat is my is my first East Fight hero. So when okay. I started it. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's but, a about him and told him my pals I'm signing all these signatures for all these fans but it's been excellent I really enjoyed my time as they say at East Fife you just never know you might be doing there in the future as a coach or something I don't know I'm not sure we'll see what happens that's great thanks so much Paul and take care and hey, maybe see you in action soon again that's it maybe I'm just going to get myself a beer now ah you've earned <laughs> it mate thanks thanks very much So that was Paul McManus there. Uh, absolutely fantastic chat, Lee, with, with Paul. I really enjoyed that, just reminiscing over old times. And he's had such a great career in, in lower Scottish football. And it was just great hearing him talking about stuff. Yeah, I mean, I've said it in the interview itself, but Paul was the first person I reached out to to, to do the podcast, um, along with the Dev Muir, because they're, they're two guys that I sort of know personally as well but you know listen to some of uh, Paul's stories particularly the one about Jay Smart um, is a, is a oh. great way to, to kick off the podcast um, and you know it's, that, that's the sort of interviews that I really hope we get that you know the potential for that to go viral will be amazing um, really really good stuff I mean you know I think that we probably owe Paul a little bit of an apology because I didn't think that the interview was going to last anywhere near as long uh, as it did. But I think we discovered that Paul likes to talk almost as much as we do, Mike. So, um... yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I I I love doing these these long form interviews. It's something that I, before this lockdown, I didn't get a chance to to do a lot of long interviews because, like, when I'm going to stuff like Whitecaps games, you maybe get five or ten minutes with a player and that's it. But during lockdown, everyone's kind of wanted to chat. And just share experiences and there was so much good stuff there from Paul and it's like I remember him making his debut for East Fife back in the day and I, I wasn't here during his his last spell with the club but obviously watched him on, on East Fife TV and stuff and he's a guy that I mean if you're looking at players of the 2000s he definitely makes that team mm-hmm. uh, as, a, as an all-time East Fife team that we did ours last week, but he's a guy that's been up there, always scored goals. And I think for me as well, hearing him talk about what it's like to be a lower league player, because I, I've been guilty of this. Like, you have a player that plays for East Fife, then they go and join another club, and then they come back and you give them dogs abuse. But you maybe don't appreciate, and I've come to appreciate it a bit more now, that th- their careers are so short, they're not making big money from this. And it's like, they have to take whatever deals they can get. Yeah, it hurts if they sign for another team, especially a rival. But we shouldn't be giving these guys pelters when they come back to play. No, I mean, if you look at Paul's career, like, you know, he said that himself, you know, he maybe went for the the money at some stages. But who can blame him? You know, he's got a young family. He's, 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 he's doing what he loves. But quite rightly, if you're good at something, that's how well you should be paid. And there's not many people, you know, I've said this before in the past about, you know, loyalty or whatever, but, you know, if, if you're really, really good at your job and say you work for, I don't know, Google, and then you get a offer from Apple that's going to double your money, yeah. who's who's, who's going to say no to that? You know what I mean? Exactly. It, 
you've, you've got to think about it as, you know, if, if you're working hard and you want to make a career out of something, you want to do the best you can for your career and make as much money while you're doing it. But on the flip side of that, Paul spoke so passionately about his time loss. And, you know, even at the, the top of the episode where, you know, he said himself that, you know, we're one of the first clubs that he looks out for when he's looking for his results. And, and that's testament to, you know, his love for the club. And, and I think that for how well we were all, you know, always treated Paul, he's not a, a player that I remember getting a lot of dogs abuse when he came back, um, when he compared well, him to the likes of... Some others have, some that we'll have on the show yeah. in weeks to come, yeah. but... Yeah, yeah. But I, mean, I think though, like, th- there's also there's a there's a line like there's giving them verbal abuse, but hearing them talking about him having pies thrown at him, which crosses that line, as does coins, obviously. But to spit on someone just because he left your team, yeah. I, you imagine stuff like that happening in say Italy or Argentina or all those kind of countries, but to to think that that happens in Scottish football, that's pretty shitty. Yeah. Um, to be honest, like I, I've got a lot of friends that are uh, Rafe Rovers fans, but you know, I would never see any of them doing any of that. But you'll get the occasional Egypt wherever you go, and yeah. unfortunately, football's no different. And let's be honest, you know, the, the culture of football, you know, you have your drinks before the game, have your drinks yeah. after the game. You know, people tend to do things that you know, maybe wouldn't generally do in day-to-day life because football, let's be honest, can be treated a bit like a soap opera at times. But it's not something you want to see. And, f- and f- to be honest, it- it's something I've never seen at Bayview. No, me neither. And all, all my years of watching it, like there's been folk, I've, I've seen some folk have stuff thrown at them and there's been like some assholes that throw coins and stuff, but never anything like, like spitting or that. I mean, and you talk about like having a drink, it's... It's one of those things, like everyone, like we did it for away games, you go to the pub before the game, it's just, it's part of the ritual and you hang with your fans and there's a bit of banter with the opposing fans. Now, like here over in Canada and North America, alcohol is allowed at the game, so you're allowed a drink, but there's never that kind of trouble. And I don't know if it's just the mindset that we have in Scotland that it means so much to us that sometimes we cross the line. But there is also the drinking culture as well, and that there is a, a lot of occasions that folk have too much to drink before the game. And the, the guys that can't hold the drink tend to be the ones then that overreact and throw things or go on the pitch and stuff like that. And I, I, I'd like to see a time when you can enjoy a game of football in Scotland and have a drink, but it still feels that that's a little bit away, especially when you've got big teams and all the sectarianism and stuff that goes like that, it just feels uh, that that's still a while away in Scotland. Yeah. I've never grown up in an era where you could have a, a beer at the football. Um, so I'll be honest with you, I, I'm not sure that I would, even if I, I had the opportunity. But again, I think there's a lot of fans that would enjoy it. But I think because I haven't experienced it, I don't miss it. Yeah, there's that as well. And I think we have a whole generation now that isn't used to it. it it would be nice to maybe trial it and see, but I just think the the potential for things getting out of hand because things get so heated here, and like Paul talked in in his chat there about like as an older player, playing and results mean so much to him, and I think for fans as well, especially lower league fans, but like in general, football fans in Scotland and the UK, our clubs mean so much to us. We feel part of the club. There's an identity, and they're part of the community. 
Now, I've seen it over here in, in Canada. There's, there's a lot of fans that clubs mean like that to them here. But there's also a lot of fans that just go to football in North America and it's just kind of seen as entertainment. It's just another thing to do, like going to the cinema. So if the team loses, they don't really care at the end of the day. They just go home and it's like, oh, well, my team lost. But still, I go home if my team loses here and I'm pissed off because my team's lost and I'm in a bad mood for the weekend and my, my poor wife puts up with me being a grumpy bastard. But, but there's not there's not like that here. It's just it's seen more as entertainment and it's changing a bit. But I think football just means so much to people in the UK because it's part of the community and it's embedded in a, in a deep, deep history as well. Yeah. I think that there's a sort of, I don't want to say tribalness to football um, here. No, no, there is though, yeah. There, there is a, a sense of that, whereas, you know, I've, I've been to the States and stuff and, you know, you're probably hitting the nail on the head, whereas it's a bit like going to the cinema, there's not that same passion for it. Um, I mean, you know, if you, you look at Portland, I'm sure it's Portland Timbers that, you know, they score a goal and the, the women take a chainsaw to a log and I'm just like, what am I watching here? Yeah, but in saying that, like, the Portland fan base is the best fan base in MLS. They're a lot like, kind of, St. Pauli in Germany in that their supporters group has always been very political. So, like, they're heavily involved just now in the whole Black Lives Matter protests that are going on and stuff like that. They have a lot of Antifa tifos and and things like that. And I'm not going to get into the whole politics and football crossing over in this episode, but their fan base is passionate and it's like amazing. But then you've got other, like every single team in MLS, they've got supporters groups that are very passionate, but they're a small number. In Portland, even before they were in MLS, they were getting like five-figure crowds to their matches for lower legal league football. So it's, it's always been different down there. The chainsaw thing is a little bit unusual. We had a footballer, he was Danish, David Usted, and he signed for us. And he made his debut down in Portland. And he didn't know anything about this chainsaw. And then Portland scored. And then all of a sudden, he sees this guy with a chainsaw behind him. And he's like, what the fuck's going on? Why has this guy got a chainsaw? <laughs> and he it put him off for the rest of the game. So that's kind of part of that. I'm not advocating that we should get someone with a chainsaw at Bayview, but it might be something we want to look at. Might put off the the opposing goalkeepers. Yeah, I don't know how health and safety and uh, five council would do with that. Maybe get a leaf blower or something like that. <laughs> Aye, there's that, there's that as well. But yeah, but it was great hearing from Paul there. We've got some really good interviews coming up in coming weeks. Do you, do you want to give a, a few hints or and sneaks as to who's coming up? Well, I've been pretty active on social media, so um, obviously delighted to have Gary Naismith next week. Um, and and I I can't begin to tell you how excited I am about that Um, you know to have somebody that's played Premier League football international football obviously Pinnacle his career was playing and uh, winning the league at East Fife as manager so that's excellent Um, one that I haven't released on social media but um, I will do today which will be Sunday Um, delighted to announce that uh, we're going to have Tam McManus um, coming on next week Obviously, Tam um, played a bit with us, um, and I reached out to him, and he, he, the first thing he said was, "I'd be delighted to come on because I love my time at East Fife." Um, then, obviously, um, having the relationship uh, being Paul's cousin as well, I thought that would tie in quite nicely. So, um, delighted to have Tam um, coming on the following week too. 
Yeah, that should be great. I've always, like, whenever he's been on off the ball, I always love hearing Tom in the show. And it's like, I my, my big memory of Tam is that horrible game that we talked about in last week's show, Dumbarton away, the last game at Boghead, where we could have got promoted that day. And I'd printed off Tam McManus masks for a few of us. I need to dig through all my stuff to see if I still have that, because I might wear that when we chat to him. Not for the whole interview, because you won't hear me, but... <laughs> If I've still got that, I, I don't even know if he saw those masks that day, but they were quite eerie. But <laughs> I'll have to see if we've, if we've got that for sure. Yeah, I think that um, in, in the back of two of those guests, obviously well-renowned when Scottish football, uh, British football, and Gary's, um, and Gary's sake, um, you know, I think that that's two great coups for the for the show and to kick us off before we start going to, you know, mainly East Fife, um, sort of local guys but you know I'm absolutely delighted to, to have them on the show Yeah me too absolutely looking forward to this and once normal football gets underway or some kind of normal football gets underway we'll be doing a lot of chats with current East Five players and stuff as well but may as well make the most of this lockdown and get some of these guests Now one thing we didn't ask Paul during what you heard today was whether he fancied a chocolate digestive. But we did ask him that, so we're going to keep that for a, a future show. But this week, talking of interviews and chats that we've had with players that aren't just to do with East Fife, let's find out if former Dundee United, Derby County, and current Sporting Kansas City player, Johnny Russell, Scottish international, maybe he fancies a chocolate digestive. So if you're if you're at home at night and you're wanting a hot beverage of choice, do, do you go for a tea, a coffee, or do you go for something else? I'd go for a tea. And are you a biscuit person? Yeah. And what would be your biscuit of choice? And are you a dunker? Mm, definitely a dunker. Um, I don't do them over here though, which is a uh, Maryland goodies. Oh. A cookie. They don't do them here, which is they're pretty pretty special. <laughs> That's great. Thank you so much for your time, Johnny. I absolutely love the chocolate digestive stuff, by the way. I absolutely love it. I've had the song stuck in my head since I heard it. Whenever anyone says for the Whitecaps, I say to them, you're not an official Whitecaps player until you answer this question. And then we, we do this this question with them. So it, it's been a fun thing to do. I've just in, enjoyed doing it. And we've got a, a couple of other fun things that we'll do over, over the course of the show just now and things like that as well. But for now, let's get a little bit into looking at some of the news of the week. And it's, it's been a quiet East Fife news of the week. We're recording this on Thursday night. And really, there's, there's not been any East Fife things to talk about with we got all our signings out of the way early, which is fantastic to see, as we said last week. Yeah, I think for me, I, I'm, I'm more worried about two names that we haven't announced, um, and Adam Dunsmore um, and Anton Dowds, um, arguably two of our, our best players. I mean, Adam Dunsmore, in terms of a modern-day legend, you know, scoring that winner against the Rovers and um, the penalty against um, Hearts um, at Bayview, you know, he's a player that 
I really, really like, and and he just oozes personality. I, I really, really hope that we manage to tie him up. Um, obviously, him hearing rumours and, and things like that, that um, there's definitely the opportunity for him to go and play at a higher level and, and on the back of the conversation that we've just had. Um, you wouldn't grudge him that move. Um, however, yeah. I, I hope that he, he stays with us to, to finish what he started in terms of trying to get us up the leagues. And the same way Anton Dowds, I said it last week, but very much in the... A similar mode to Fash for me, young boy coming through, bags of potential. Um, again, we would grudge him a, a move up. He sort of seemed to dip in and out under Darren Young. Um, I think he maybe lost his confidence a wee bit halfway through the season, but um, for me, Dowds would be one of the first names in the team sheet every week. So I'm, I'm really, really hopeful that we'll make an announcement with, with him soon. I mean, hopefully, the, the squad, I mean, we talked about this last week, that it's looking really good already. And the, the thing with Scottish football, in fact, world football, is there's so much uncertainty at the moment. And I think that actually works in East Fife's favour, because if you can go to these players as they've done and say, look, we're prepared to offer you a deal or a contract extension, give you maybe a couple of years stability, I, I think players are going to snap at that just now, because you don't want to be a free agent just now because you don't know what money clubs are going to have. You don't know what football is going to look like when it comes back and, and a variety of, of things like that. So I think you will find a lot of teams just signing their existing talent. And we spoke last week, we're just a couple of pieces of new additions away from possibly taking us to that next level. And it's very exciting. So we'll see what the, the coming week brings. But I, there hasn't been a lot of transfer activity I, I don't think just in general for, for a lot of Scottish clubs no I've not, I've not seen too much um, I think Rangers um, obviously confirmed the signing of Yanis Hadji yeah that's a great signing for them I, I didn't think they'd keep him I, I genuinely thought he would go elsewhere but again that might be the case of look you know what we can do we can offer you this money it's uncertain just now stay with us yeah big big signing for them yeah, as, as a real statement signing for Gerard, um, and I mean, I liked, I really liked what I seen him. So I think that that's more for Rangers potentially looking at an investment similar to what they did with Ian Kent, and they'll spend the money because they know that they'll probably double it. Oh yeah, definitely. You know, if if you're sitting on the board of East Fife just now, and I know that we have some of the board that's listening, if you're speaking to the likes of Anton Dowds or Anne Dunsmore. You know, are we knocking on their doors and going, let's offer you a two-year deal just now because if we tie you into a contract, we could keep you on that furlough scheme even if the football season doesn't start when it's meant to start, but you're going to be guaranteeing yourself these wages over that uncertain time. But obviously looking into the future going, you know, these are two of our biggest prospects. Could we then command a transfer fee for them? I mean, I don't want to get... I, I want to use this podcast as kind of like an escape from all the shit that's going on in the world just now. And it's like, I don't want to get too much into talking about the coronavirus itself. But I would be stunned if all over the world there's not going to be second waves, third waves in the future. So we could be going through all this again in, in a couple of months. Even if football gets underway, we could find ourselves back in furlough schemes and stuff. So it is definitely stability for teams. I mean, right now, we're looking that August 1st is when games should get back underway. And it's not going to be with fans in, in attendance, obviously. And yeah. We still don't know, though, because league reconstruction is still rumbling on. Th this has to come to an end at some point soon, because we can't be going into late June, July, not knowing what leagues teams are yeah. playing in. 
They've got season tickets to sell. They've got sponsorship rights that it's like you want to know, are you going to be in the third tier? Are you going to be in the second tier in his wife's case, depending if they go 14, 14, 14? You've got Anne Budge clearly trying to just save Hart's ass. And I I have a little bit of kind of sympathy for all the teams that's relegated. Maybe none more so, though, than Partick Thistle, who have a yeah. game in hand. And they've got a game in hand because they're, they're playing in, in cup football. So, I mean, it's tough for the likes of them to relegate them. Hearts, though, have been absolutely shocking this year. But I do understand, yeah, you're trying to save yourself from relegation. Yes, you could go on an amazing run and avoid relegation. That is, that's all very true. And it is hard for any club to be disadvantaged because of this. But you have to look at something that's long-term here. And now they're looking at whether clubs want a, a two-year plan or a five-year plan. For me, five years. And I know some of this might have changed by the time this podcast comes out because clubs are having a vote on Friday. But it does feel dead in the water. And another thing that pissed me off with all of this is you've got the, the Premier and the Championship teams voting on this. And the basic message that was given out was, yeah, the, the lower leagues, you can just decide what you want to do. We don't really care what you do. This should be all of us in this together. And it, it's like, don't do this just to save one or two teams. This needs to be something that is long lasting and benefits all of Scottish football. And I think it's dead in the water. And I don't. I think we're going to have the status quo for next season, which I, I do find disappointing because we do need some kind of change. If, if we want to start competing in an international sense in terms of Scotland, we need more competitive leagues, in my opinion. Um, yep. and, and to improve the, the, the Scottish football setup as it is because let's be honest it's been a bit of a joke for a while um, there's not been any real revamp in a long time apart from the, the pyramid introduction with the, the Lowland League and the Highland League but I think in, in, in terms of from a completely selfish point of view we have to have some sort of change you know if it, it gets to the point where, you know, as a fan, if you've not got a season ticket and you're going, Clyde again, we're going to go and watch us yeah. against Clyde. Yeah, exactly. So there's there's that side of things. Hopefully, we'll um, by the time the next episode comes around, we'll, we'll have a better idea of the way it's looking. But I, I couldn't agree with you more, Mike, that we, we need a resolution. We need it now. And I don't think that a two-year period for it to then fall back to normal is, is the right thing to do. I think that we've got to make a, a, a decision, got to make it permanently, and, and let's try and, and breathe some life into our game. I mean, absolutely. I haven't got to see too much live Scottish football this year because the Canadian deal ended at the end of last season and the company that had it didn't pick it up and then no one else picked it up. So I, I've been watching sports scene every week. I, I've been downloading that and watching it. But that's how Scottish football is viewed elsewhere in the world. It's not looked at as being a major league because you've got two teams running away with it. And for me, the last couple of years, the best and most enjoyable league has been the championship. That's where all the action's been. And even with Dundee United running away with things this year, it was still an exciting league. And you've you've got the cup competitions. And I think something that respects all of Scottish football it's what has to be the outcome of this. And if you've got everyone looking out for self-interest, that's not going to happen. So I think we'll have the status quo. 
we talked on last week's show and you mentioned it at the start there as well, there's not going to be fans. So the SPFL, the Premier teams, have agreed with Sky that season ticket holders can now watch the games that Sky don't show and they're only showing 48 over the year. But season ticket holders for clubs can go through their like East 5 TV equivalent and watch the games with their season ticket and that's how it should be because you're getting money into the club and you're rewarding season ticket holders. Obviously, clubs like East Fife will look to, to do that as well, I would highly imagine. And then for away games, it's up to... Uh, see, this is the, the sticking point because I know some clubs will say, let, let's look at a Rangers, for example, or a Celtic. Their fans are going to buy coverage of away games from, say, Kilmarnock or Hamilton. I don't want Rangers and Celtic then going to them saying, well, all our fans are buying buying your thing. We should get a cut of that. It's like, no, the uh, the home team should get all the money. And uh, we we take a healthy away support of games as well, more than, say, other teams bring to Bayview. I wouldn't dream of going to the likes of Stranraer or Peterhead and saying, no, we, we should have a cut of what you're getting from your, your Peterhead TV. No. So, I mean, things like that's not right. So... I think it will be done sensibly, and I think that is the way to go. It's whether you charge the full season ticket price or not is the thing. As long as I can watch it at any time on demand, I would be happy to to probably pay more than the fiver that they're currently charging, but not probably what I would pay to go through the gate. Mm, see, I, I'll maybe have to agree to disagree with you here, because I think that fans and we've shown already as these five fans that we'll do whatever's in the best interest of the club, you know, in terms of the, the season ticket holders from last year saying, you know, keep the money. I think that it depends on how, how long this lasts. Do they offer a half season ticket? So even just say, tell you what, here's your half season ticket and then we'll reevaluate in December. But at the same time, I know you're not getting the full match day experience, but I would happily pay the amount for the season t- a half season ticket as it would be, um, even if that meant it bought the rights to watch the away games or or you know a discount on watching away games, depending on how it's agreed. So, oh yeah, that could be a that could be a thing to to do that as a little bit of an added extra. Obviously, I'm I'm coming at it from a an expat point of view where I couldn't go to the games anyway. So I'm sure for folk outside the the UK and Scotland, they'll have different deals for for folk to do with that but I mean talking about the match day atmosphere then it's how how these are are presented now we've seen a a number of different things across the leagues I talked earlier you've got the likes of Belarus and Faroes they've still got fans attending games so I watched that and you're getting the atmosphere Bundesliga there's no fans in attendance but what they were doing is they were and they did this in Korea as well they pumped in through the tannoy Crowd noise, crowd atmosphere, singing, chanting. I wasn't sure what I would think about that, and I'm still quite undecided because I've watched a little bit to see what I thought. And I I think I would rather hear the players shouting. Obviously, there'll be a lot of swearing, but we get that from going to games anyway. And let's be honest, there is times at, at Bayview that it's quite a quiet atmosphere anyway, and you're not hearing anything apart from the players on the ball getting kicked. I don't know that I like the idea of having crowd noise pumped in, but I'd, I'd like to, to see what you think in that. Anything except from sex dolls would be uh, a good yeah. start for me. <laughs> yeah, that was the other Korean thing. 
That was fantastic. It's For anyone that doesn't know, a Korean club ordered sex dolls. They said they thought they were just mannequins. And they put them in the stand and they got a million yen or what I can't remember what the currency is in Korea. But they got a million Korean currency fine for it for bringing the, the league into disrepute. And what, what they said coming out of it was they should know what sex dolls are from experience, kind of suggesting that everyone would know what a sex doll is like. <laughs> look, look at, looking at it, they clearly were sex dolls. And they were quite sexy sex dolls. The whole other thing. <laughs> been in lockdown for, for quite a while now. But so I, if, if they're not going to use them, mate, maybe we could get a discount. <laughs> but I don't think you want a, a, a used sex doll. I, I in any way, shape or form, really. I think that was why there was social distancing, though. Maybe they had been used, so you just had to have your, your six feet apart. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I can't see us having sex dolls at Bayview, but would you want to be watching an East Fife game and, and having fake crowd noise pumped in? To be honest, no. Um, but, again, you've touched on it there, that the atmosphere at Bayview isn't great anyway. So yeah. it kind of goes back to that point where I was talking about the beer. If you've never had it, would you miss it? So it's yeah. look. It's it's not like we're used to pl- um, playing in front of tens of thousands and, and you're used to a lot of crowd noise. The only thing that you're used to hearing the beer is, "Excuse me, mate, I'm going for a pee." Um, so that's literally about it, or the occasional shout from the, the usual suspects. So I think that no, I'm I'm not in favour of that. It's a short answer. One of the other things that they were doing in Germany was you could pay to have, I think it was 20 euros, and you could get a cardboard cutout of yourself put in the stands. I would do that if they did it. I've got to be honest. No, I don't think I would do that. Don't get me wrong, I would look at any way supporting the club in whatever way I could, but no, I don't think that I would be paying to have a cardboard cutout and make me of you. Definitely not. Uh, see, I would, and then afterwards, when it's back to fans being in attendance, I would hope you would then take my cut out to the games with you, so it feels like, <laughs> it feels like I'm there in person with you. I'll just stand with my arm around you, like. Yeah! <laughs> I start doing actual interviews, I'll just carry you with me, mate. Yeah, you can just pretend that I'm there, or I'll, I'll call in, you can hold your, your phone up coming out of my mouth or something. See, we've got it sorted. <laughs> Perfect. Lockdown's really messing with us now, Mike. Yeah, I think it is. The the Sky deal that I talked about, they've had to pay some money back, obviously, because they haven't been able to show all the games. And in particular, Sky lost out on having a a big Celtic Rangers couple of games or or whatever. Sky's going to be the only broadcaster next year because BT Sport have dropped out. But they've they've got a good deal. It's over five years. I do wonder how much of that is going to trickle down to, to the lower leagues. I know the BBC have done a great job with showing... I mean, I, I was watching the Friday night championship games that, that they had on, on, on TV and I'd like to see them roll that out so it's not just championship. It'd be nice if we had, especially if it's closed doors, that you maybe had a, a, a championship game of the week, a League One game of the week, a League Two game of the week and you're, you've get, got that exposure for all, all the teams and all the leagues. No, again, I think that's a great idea. The only issue I've got with Alba is, you know, for example, Chris Templeman, you know, you catch one part of it. Um, you know, maybe having a red button option to get some commentary in English or even subtitles would be a great help. But, you know, I think that if we had any chance of getting any sort of TV exposure, because then you're exposing yourself to, you know, 
maybe people around local areas, you know, Glenoffice, Leaven, Weems, wherever, that maybe wouldn't go to a game are getting that opportunity to get an insight of what it would be like and develop that sort of love um, for the club. And I think that any way that we could get that would be ideal. Absolutely. And yeah, the Alp, I think, I, I've started listening to to the Scottish band Pete and Diesel, so I'm kind of learning Gaelic a little bit from, from their songs. And my, my good friend Steve Llewellyn as well, he actually is fluent in Gaelic and can teach Gaelic. So maybe I'll get in touch with him and he can do some translating for us. He's somebody I've not seen for a very long time. And Steve, if you're listening, I hope you're well. Yeah, I, I got a chance to, to meet up with him just when I was over briefly. But yeah, it, 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 like next time I'm over, I hopefully get to catch up with a few more folk. I've no idea when that's going to be. The idea of hopping on a plane right now is quite terrifying to me. So I'm glad I got over in February and got to see some some games and stuff, uh, as we talked about last week. But yeah, I mean, we don't know what's going to happen. Some of the changes that's in place just now, one of the big ones is clubs can have five subs. And the Premiership agreed that it's going to be five subs from nine on the bench. You, you can only make substitutions still three times during a game, but you can also make subs at halftime as well. So you can bring five subs on. And if you're playing games to, to catch up every kind of three or four days, that makes a lot of sense. But then it got me thinking, I'd, I, I would not be averse to there being five subs in general, but with a, a kind of caveat of two of those subs have to be, say, under 21 players. I think this would be a chance to get younger players, maybe even under 18 players, blooded and getting a chance to get first team exposure. And moving forward then, five subs in a game, I, th- I think it could work. I don't want it to be five subs in a game, though, that then benefits bigger clubs only because they've got such a, a stacked roster and they've got talent coming out of, of their ears on the bench. But if you had it that you had to make it young players, I think that would be good. I'm talking about benefiting and growing Scottish football for for SPL teams in particular. If Rangers and Celtic were then forced to have to play 17 or 18-year-olds for games, I think that would be great. Mm-hmm. Because even though if they, if they didn't make the grade, then they're still getting the exposure at the higher level when they come down the, the football pyramid and they've had that sort of experience. So definitely, um, that's a great shout, actually. And I've, I, to be honest, it's not one that I've thought about. The five subs, I think, could work. Um, I'm not so sure how I'd like to see that rolled out in terms of long term, but I would hope that, I, I think that we've got to use the, the situation as it is as a trial run for many things. Um, and subs is definitely a, is a good way to look at it for perhaps changing the game. I, I would say if we're going to do five subs, it's got to be a caveat that maybe if there's an injury or whatever, but it's got to be a serious injury because then obviously you know what footballers are like in terms of training yeah, yeah. injury and stuff makes it that little bit more difficult. But I think that there's there's definitely a lot of ways and a lot of things that they could look at. Yeah. So let us know your thoughts as well. Get in touch with us on Twitter at podcast underscore EF. Or send us an email at aftn at hotmail.co.uk. So also our Facebook page as well, Glory Days of Gold. Just search for that and let us know your thoughts. What would you like to see from League Reconstruction? What would you like to see for watching games going forward? Would, would you like some kind of interactive experience if that's possible? Maybe not so much with the lower league teams or whatever. And Let us know your thoughts in this sub as well. We'd love to hear your thoughts. We'll be coming up with this week's mailbag quite soon. For now, though, it's time for Wavelength. And 
For anyone that doesn't know, that's going to be our part of the show where we play a, a song all about football. Could be by a proper band, could be by a footballer, could be by a football club. We had Bonnie Lassie by Dutch punk band Slugger last week. That got a, a good reception. This week's song, I've gone for a, a song by an Irish band. And it's about a, a well-known Scottish footballer, Gordon Strachan. It's an absolutely classic song. Came out in the late 90s from a band called The Hitchers, from when Strachan was playing his football at Leeds United. Let's hear it now. It's simply called Strachan. Start to start a fight up with me She said, what's that you're watching? It's a program about art She said, a program about art I said, a program about art And then the greatest midfield artist of them all Walked out onto the park The crowd were on their feet And they whistled and they cheered Scotsman with the copper coloured hair She said you just don't care You never listen, you know You get shown to weather up, weather up To Dorigo, Dorigo knocks it on to Faircloth Faircloth looks for speed Now she's ranting like a lunatic I'm switching off that telly Look at me while I'm talking to you Distracting now, puts Kelly through There's one man pulling all the strings And twenty-two, look damn well who 
Punted across the face of the goal. And Lee Chapman scores most of his goals in a six-yard box. I think that was within about six inches. So that was Strachan by the Hitchers there from their 1997 album It's All Fun and Games Till Someone Loses an Eye. We'll have a lot more of these songs coming up. Some of them will have a Scottish flavour. Some of them will just be songs about football. But we're going to move into the last part of our show just now. And like I mentioned, we had a, a really good response uh, on t- to last week's show. Had a, a lot of correspondents coming in by email, on Facebook and on Twitter as well. Just want to read a, a, an email I got from Ian... Well, it was actually a Twitter DM. From at Ian East Leeds. He said, I just wanted to say congratulations on the first episode of Glory Days and thank you for letting our rugby league family from Leeds nosy in on black and gold business. When you were talking about the community feel of EFFC and sport and life, far from big money and media frenzy, it reminded me of rugby league culture here in Yorkshire. My family have been coming to Fife for years on holiday and I always thought of myself as an Arab. But last year, we were in the caravan at Shell Bay and I took our eldest daughter to her first ever football match, East Fife's home defeat to Stirling in the Tunnock's Cup. Nevertheless, she loved it, especially the caramel waver, and she now regularly runs around our region in her East Fife shirt. I love bonding with her over it, and I've now found myself lapping up on the windswept plane, Jim Christopher's fantastic book, and regarding Geordie Monroe with suspicion. We're hoping to be back to Shell Bay in August, but I fear we may have to wait a little bit longer for our second visit to Bayview, maybe an away day in Partick in spring 2021. So in the meantime, we'll be tuning into Glory Days with eager anticipation, and thanks again. And that was from Ian, and I know there's a few guys that have come up from the Leeds area over the years, and it's great to to hear fans, like I'm saying I've, I've adopted Vikinger in the Faroe Islands. There are a number of fans in, in the UK that adopt a Scottish team and like to come up to games, and welcome them all and anyone that's listening let us know we'd love to hear your stories as well of why you supported East Fife how you got to, to support the team and we'll read those out in future shows uh, I absolutely loved that um, that message that we got and you want to know what things like that actually make worth uh, doing the podcast worthwhile um, that people are getting such enjoyment out of it um, and particularly somebody that's maybe just a wee bit off the beaten track, you know. Um, I seen that we got someday um, on Facebook um, that I'm sure was it Pennsylvania or something like that that it was in. There's some somewhere com- completely far flung, and you know it was just a bit like, all right, you know, if, if we're getting people from from completely remote areas, absolutely brilliant. Um, so um, thanks to everybody that listened to the show. Well, I, I kind of had a, a little dig out of the the stats as well, just to kind of see where some folk are, are listening to the show now. On Podbean, it only breaks down the people that's kind of downloaded it from Podbean or, or listened to it on, on that site. So it doesn't break down where people from, say, listening to it on, on Apple Podcasts or through Spotify or stuff like that. But we've had listeners in the, the UK, Canada, the US, Norway, France, none from Australia, which surprised me because I know we've got a lot of expats down there, but it's been fantastic to, to hear that. So if you're listening for a from a far-flung place, let us know as well. Yeah, shoot us a message about that. And what we're, we're going to do now, we'll move on to some of the the feedback that we got from asking for your, your all-time East Fife 11s. Now, we've had a really good response from this, so we're going to spread this out over the next few shows. We don't want to just read them all out in the one episode. So we'll pick a couple to do today, 
and then we'll, we'll keep this going over future episodes. So I'll, I'll throw this over to Lee and, and he can let us know what some of the folk were saying. Yep. So first of all, we're, we're going to go to one of our friends in Stephen Mill. And we'll go to Stephen first, obviously, because he is an, probably the most knowledgeable person on East Fife in the planet. And I'm pretty sure that if there was a mastermind East Fife edition that he would walk it. But Oh, I'd love to see that. Yeah, that would be good, actually. Maybe we could do a, an episode of that and get Stephen on. That sounds like an idea. Anyway, um, we'll go for Stephen Mill's 11. So he's gone for McGar, Nielsen, Naismith, Jury. Martis, Aitken, Brown, Archibald, Morris, Fleming and Duncan. So that's quite a wide variety of um, eras there. So I thought that was an interesting one. And then we'll go to a more modern era, um, Luke Aitken. So that's Luke underscore Aitken 95 on Twitter. Luke's gone for Scott Fox, um, which Paul McManus put in his team. And I, I must admit, in mine, it was a toss-up between him and um, Mark Ridgers. Um, Greg McDonald, Stephen Tweed, Johnny Smart, Gary Naismith, Stephen Hughes, Bobby Lynn, Scott Agnew, Kenny Duker, Paul McManus, and Aaron Dunsmore. So um, that's more sort of my era looking a, a lot. And if I, I'll be honest, I'm looking at that team and it would be very, very difficult to, to beat that team anyway, definitely. So, yeah, there's the, the, the two teams for this week. Yeah, we, we've had some fantastic players at the club over the years. And I, I, Stuart Kirkcaldy, I think it was Stuart Kirkcaldy, someone messaged me anyway and said, you you went through stuff, but you didn't name, name your full subs bench last week. So I had cut some folk out and I couldn't read my writing. So I had the likes of Paul Hunter and Jay Smart and, and Bobby Lynn on my subs bench as well. But listening to when Paul did his as well, he mentioned Willie McCulloch and I totally forgot about Willie McCulloch. And I had Lindsay Hamilton down as my my backup goalkeeper. But I think I'm going to switch that out with Willie McCulloch, actually, because I forgot what a fantastic keeper Willie was. And it's it's one of those things that my memories, it's you, you look back and you remember certain things and like someone like Stephen Mill, I was always amazed. Like you just talk to Stephen and just ask him about anything. He could rattle off who scored on that day, or who was the referee, or yeah, we had this ref at this game, and I've always envied folk that's got that kind of photographic memory for, for football stuff. It's just tremendous. But we'll hopefully have Stephen on the on one of the future shows as well, because it'd just be fascinating just to, to chat to him, and, and also what his experiences now are, kind of being more involved at board level and doing the commentary and, and, and various stuff like that. But that is pretty much it for this week's show. Just before we go, just let everyone know where they can find you online and plug anything you want to plug. So first of all, we'll uh, stick with the, the Twitter page, which is podcast underscore EF. Um, if you want to come through to me directly, it's LeeG1903 on Twitter. Um, obviously on our Facebook page, Glory Days of Gold. And a final shout out again to um, Five Pro Wrestling Asylum, um, who are a wrestling training company in Glenothis. Um, so if you've got any interest in becoming a professional wrestler or if you're looking for a new hobby based in Glenothis, then get in contact with them on Facebook at Five Pro Wrestling Asylum. And also thanks to Craig Castles, who donated to um, our account as well for improvements coming up. Yeah, I, I can't remember the name of the show. There was a show in BBC last year sadly with the the ICW wrestler who passed away, Lionheart, and it was like looking at becoming wrestlers and they had people off the streets to, to train to become in wrestling. Wow. Like, I, I sit and watch wrestling a lot, especially AEW that, that I love, and 
you don't fully appreciate how much that hurts and the marks it leaves on your body. It's something, if I was younger, I wouldn't mind giving that a try. So anyone that's got any interest, check that out and get yourself along, even for a couple of sessions, see if it's for you or not. Certainly gets you fit, that would be for sure. Yeah, I, I was actually lucky enough to, to have a, a, a tour of their, their set-up um, England office a, a few months back. And the setup that they've got there is amazing. Um, Andy has been a friend of mine for a long, long time. Uh, very dedicated to what he does. He's, he's wrestled you know, some of the, the best wrestlers in the world. Um, recognisable ones like X-Pac and Rikishi and all these sort of big names. Um, he's had his WWE tryout. So Andy knows his stuff. So if you do know anybody um, that would be interested, then definitely get along. Perfect. If you want to give me a follow, you can find me on Twitter at AFTN Canada, also at AFTN website. You can also check out if you've any interest in MLS, uh, my Canadian site, which is AFTN.ca. We'll hopefully be having a Glory Days of Gold website as well down the line, and I am planning on bringing up back the AFTN UK website. Despite the lockdown and, and stuff like this, I've never actually been busier doing the, the other stuff that I'm doing, so I've kind of had to put that a little bit on the, the back burner. This recording, for example, has lasted over three hours. So <laughs> Three, three uh, hours, 13 minutes. <laughs> we'll see how much of it actually makes the final edit. So, uh, yeah, th- th- these things take a little bit of time, so we'll, we might put this out in two parts. We'll see how it ends up. But thank you so much for listening. As we mentioned, we're going to be back next week with a fantastic show. We're going to have Gary Naismith really looking for that. That's probably going to end up as a four-hour episode. But until then, thanks for listening. Take care. Stay safe. And mon the fife. Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life.